Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 97, a special themed episode where we're going to be discussing horror movies for little monsters. On Horror Movie Podcast, you generally hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations that'll help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay. Wolfman's got nards. (laughs) Indeed he does. And in fact, you got to talk with a few different legends in the cinema industry, actually, at the Salt Lake City Comic Con recently. Yeah, I uh, don't typically attend that kind of stuff, but I enjoy it when I do. And um, I didn't really have time to do it. I was under a bunch of deadlines and leaving town, but Matroid talked me into going with him. He had a (laughs) pass for the sci-fi podcast and for his newspaper column that he that he writes and uh he drug me along and i got to meet robert england which was really cool and he nice. was very nice um i got to meet danny trejo and i got to meet luke skywalker which to me was <laughs> one of the coolest things ever that was actually the thing that convinced me to go because i thought you know what there's not really a sci-fi person out there that i'm i'm dying to meet but uh you know, if there was one, it would probably be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, well, what was Mark Hamill like? Was he, I mean, he was did- very cool. He was very nice. Um, you know, Matt was there with his wife, Liz, who's pregnant now and their son Gibson. And, uh, he, he picked up Matt's son and put him on his lap and, you know, and, uh, that's it, nice. It was really cool. Like I, I just thought of, man, if very I was cool. a kid, and I got to meet Luke Skywalker and sit on his lap and play with a lightsaber. That would probably would have made my entire life. My yeah, own, oh, hell yeah. Everything would have worked out differently for me. I know. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Did, did you get to ask him any particular questions of substance? Because I always thought, okay, if I meet people, I would try to think of something that not everybody has asked a billion times. But what would that even be? Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of thinking along the same line as you, and I just I opted for not asking them anything and just kind of just enjoying the moment rather than trying to yeah make something out of it because you know I my mind always goes to filmmaking. I'm like, man, I've got the best part for Danny Trejo, but then I'm like, you know, what? I it, this is probably not the context in which it's going to benefit me, you know, yeah. the most to make this context. I'm just going to just be a fan for the day and have fun and sure. Yeah, because honestly, they probably get like solicited a lot in those types of situations, and they yes. probably don't appreciate it. <laughs> so, I mean, they're having a good time though. And Matroid put it to me this way: he's like, you know, you're just by being here and asking for their autograph or getting a selfie or whatever they're doing, you're making them relevant for like two to three more years. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, true. <laughs> Uh, they they were enjoy like there wasn't one person there that wasn't having a good time as far as I saw. So I think it's a really cool thing. That's great. Nice. Yeah, Salt Lake City Comic Con. That's excellent. I'm glad to hear you got to attend that. Um, yeah, so- I, I almost talked to the little girl who plays Eleven on Stranger Things, and I was we were looking at a bunch of cool art, and I was like trying to hurry to get over there 
to talk to her. And that was one of those moments where I was like, wait, this is an 11 year old girl. Do I actually need to go? Right. <laughs> like she's cool on the show, but I don't need to meet Millie Brown in person. Probably I'm going to be okay. So. <laughs> I, although I do appreciate her craft. She's a great actress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I, I admire and respect the fact that you are not starstruck. You know, I was um reading Roger Ebert one time and he, in one of his reviews or something, he said something in passing about, um, the best way in, to honor or appreciate a star when you see them is to just nod <laughs> and, you know, just wave <laughs> light, slightly, you know, to show that you recognize and appreciate them, but to also respect their privacy and give them some space. And he said, that's how he did it. So it's hard because I just want to be, you will want to be their best friend because you assume that they're going to like you as much as you like them. But <laughs> that's right. Exactly. It doesn't turn out that way. No, 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 no. All right. Well, tonight's episode, I'm so excited about it. We're just going to jump right in here. I wanted to set up some, maybe the <laughs> expectations of the listeners a little bit, maybe temper those and give them our agenda, because this is not going to be your typical horror movie podcast episode. In fact, by by their very nature, horror movies for kids are generally so mild that some people probably won't even consider them horror movies at all. But we're not going to get into that whole debate a lot tonight, trust me. But if you are dead serious about horror movies like we are, then I challenge you to still listen to this show. Even if you're kind of a hardcore horror fan and kid stuff doesn't interest you. Because I think even the most hardened horror fan may enjoy this show, guys. And may even gain some insights about horror cinema, if we're lucky. The other thing, I just have a little disclaimer here. Of course, you know, as we recommend movies that we think are great horror movies for children to get them acquainted with the genre. Uh, just as a little disclaimer, of course, Horror Movie Podcast does not want you to endanger any children <laughs> or their well-being by yeah. exposing them to... <laughs> yes. Um, no, no, no. That, that... <laughs> right? I mean, that is not what we're doing here. And uh, of course, this is very subjective. These are merely our personal opinions. I mean, we are all three fathers we have children but um nothing we say here should be taken as parenting advice and uh, i hope that no one takes it as us judging what you should do or telling you how to raise your kids so um do you guys have any comments on that because i I think that's important to put out front well you know i think there's two other things one it is um you know how do you make a new horror fan and Dave's going to talk about that a little bit more, but I think it's cool to, you know, whether or not you have children, which, you know, I'm sure there's a giant segment of our listenership that doesn't, how do you get your friends or people that you like into horror movies? And, you know, and we're going to talk, be talking about that a little bit. I also think mm-hmm. it could be just a trip down memory lane for people of, you know, it could be a nostalgia type of episode for the kinds of stuff you watched when you were a kid that got you into horror in the first place. So yes. I think there's a little something for everyone here. Yeah. And in many ways, this is a gateway drug episode, a gateway to horror movies episode. And just one more note on that. Um, since this is our episode about horror movies for kids, I'd like to make sure that this episode is um, 100% kid friendly, meaning that we're not going to say anything objectionable or too explicit that would prevent kids from listening to it. And so we'll still, of course, be discussing these things on our usual 
adult, faux, academic, analytical level. <laughs> but honestly, if you would like to get your young person acquainted with horror movie podcasts through this episode, this might be one, you know, maybe you could show them this one because it won't exceed the PG level. So that's fun. Right. And then we're going to move into our feature reviews of Monster House, as well as The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad and Haunted Honeymoon. And then we're going to kind of go through some, much like we've been doing, but we're going to be talking about some different recommendations that we think might be appropriate for certain, maybe certain time periods in a kid's life. We'll, we'll kind of do those in order of age range. And then um, just kind of wrap it up with our top five best horror movies for kids. And then we'll call it a show. Now, I think we promised, if I'm not mistaken, we promised the listeners that we would kind of start out with our origin stories as horror fans and maybe talk about how we got into horror, maybe talk about our parents' rules and standards for us or the, the movies that we liked as kids, and then maybe even the movies that scarred us as children. So, uh, Wolfman Josh, why don't you kick off, uh, wh what would you like to tell listeners about your origin story? I mean, for me, and a lot of the films I'm going to talk about, it was mysteries that got me into horror in the first place. And it's really remains kind of one of my favorite elements in horror film. That's a lot of the reason that I enjoy the slasher genre is because it has the whodunit element to it. And it's something I concentrate a lot when I'm showing my kids movies is something that kind of engages them on this mystery level. And for me, one of the first entry points was Scooby-Doo. And I mean, that was a big one. Yes. And <laughs> Scooby-Doo is something that my, I loved, my kids loved, we watched together. And it was my first introduction to monsters. It was one of my first times thinking like, oh, cool. Not only do I love monsters, but monsters are sometimes just people in masks. And so it kind of um, makes it a little bit safer there. The other interesting thing I noticed about the old Scooby-Doo versus the new Scooby-Doo as I've been watching, you know, I, I showed my kids all the old episodes, but they were also watching these new Scooby-Doo movies that are out and stuff. And uh, the laugh track makes a huge difference because especially when you're showing it to young kids, if you show them the old Scooby-Doo, there's constantly a laugh track under kind of scary moments and it diffuses that tension a little bit for younger viewers. Yeah, The new movies don't do that. And the new <laughs> versions of Scooby-Doo don't do that. And honestly, like I was watching... Um, attack the block with my five-year-old the other day oh wow <laughs> and i was and he was just like this isn't even as scary as scooby-doo <laughs> you know wow. seriously and and that's i frame things like that to him i say you know how he'll say how scary is it and i said well i honestly i don't think it's scarier than that last scooby-doo you watch because the monsters these days are pretty horrific and the you know they are somewhat unrelenting and they don't have that safety net of having Don Knotts in the episode or having, this, <laughs> having Batman this and Robin laugh track, you know? or, or the Globetrotters globe yes. <laughs> are not there. They're nowhere to be seen. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, anyway, Scooby-Doo was a big one for me and it, you know, Sherlock Holmes was something I was into as a kid. My kids know Perot and murder. She wrote. And I essentially, my, my main goal as a parent is to, 
indoctrinate them and have them have the as close to the exact same growing up experience as I had so that we can have a lot to relate to later in life. <laughs> right. But um so yeah, I mean I show them all the stuff that I was into and that's that's a lot of murder she wrote. The, the you know the shows that they like are now are like psych and things like that that are more modern mystery shows that I didn't grow up on but Mysteries of all kinds are really the bread and butter at our house, and I think they've been great entrees into horror. And I think it's fun to take something like Monsters, Inc. that maybe doesn't seem like horror at all, mm-hmm. but I kind of manipulate their small minds into being like, look, aren't monsters fun and funny? And then I couple that with something that's maybe a little more intense, and then they kind of are building this affinity for monsters and and things like that. But yeah, some of my earliest things, I remember the thing that really scarred me the most, the first time I saw gremlins in the movie theater, (laughs) I had begged my mom to take me to see gremlins, just begged and begged and begged because it looked like a Muppets movie to me. Right. (laughs) She kept telling me this is not Muppets. I'm like, it looks so funny. I just sit and crack up watching the trailer. And then I just remember crying and crying in the movie theater and her having to (laughs) take me and eventually I loved Gremlins, but that first time seeing it, I was I was terrified. Um, we talked about yeah. when we reviewed Ghostbusters last time, that being uh, a milestone for me as a little kid. That first scene in the library was a scary one. But Ghostbusters was definitely one that had an effect on me as a child. Um, and I remember sitting in the theater seeing a trailer for the latest Friday the 13th installment uh, when I went to go see Ghostbusters. And that scared the crap out of me as well. <laughs> I remember watching that trailer and just being terrified. Um, Watcher in the Woods was an early one for me. Yeah. Critters, Ghoulies. I remember sleeping over, and this was pretty late. Like, I think I was like in fifth or sixth grade, but The Lady in White was one that freaked me out when I saw it oh, as a kid. Yes. Um, but Dreamscape was one of the ones that I first had just visceral nightmares about. And it's weird because I was. It wasn't that long ago, and it's not that scary of a movie, but that was definitely one. I was staying with my grandparents over the summer, and to be honest, I have not revisited this movie, so I can't even tell you that much about it. <laughs> but it stars Dennis Quaid, and there's a scene at some point where these aliens like rip their faces off, like the flesh from their faces to reveal aliens yeah. underneath. And I had decided that my grandparents were these types of creatures. And, oh, no. Um, I was just scared. Like I remember being in my grandma's basement and that's, which is where I had watched dreamscape with my cousins and her her calling me to dinner. I just remember being terrified to go in there. And that was just one of the first early things that really scarred me as a child. But somehow I kept going back to horror movies. I just enjoyed them. And one of the first really positive experiences I remember was watching the lost boys at my friend's house. And he had a VHS taped copy had gotten from his older brother and we we just had sleepovers every night of the summer. One night at his house, one night at my house, and we just watched nice. The Lost Boys every single <laughs> night that summer. <laughs> oh, I love memories like that. That's awesome. Quick question: When you were at your grandparents' house, did your grandma chase you under the porch very fast? <laughs> like, thankfully, <laughs> no. Oh my goodness! I'm so glad the visit did not exist at that stage, or I wouldn't have made it. Oh yeah, that, that's seriously scary. Well, thank you, Josh. That's interesting to hear a little bit about your origin. And uh, what about you, Dr. Shock? Tell us about yours. All right. Well, um, 
TV wise, the things that I started with, they weren't really um, horror. You know, I think Scooby Doo was probably even closer to horror than, than, but it was monsters, and that was my my favorite shows growing up were Ultraman and Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. I used to watch those <laughs> all the time, and they had a lot of monsters in them. Not horror though. I mean, it was more like action and everything. Um, as a matter of fact, just a, a, a quick little uh, admission here. I have to say that. I have a very strong memory of um, there's a, there's one Ultraman where he dies. There's I don't know if it's the like the original Ultraman. I'm not sure what it is, but Ultraman dies, and they had this whole sort of thing of him. They see him up in the moon or something. I remember being I guess I was like four or five. I remember running into my room and shutting the door and sitting there in the dark, crying my eyes out because Ultraman had died. That's a very strong memory for me. Um, but anyway, <laughs> as far as horror, it's very interesting because there was a um, a movie that my parents were watching on TV. I, I guess it was five, maybe six years old at the time. And, you know, I just remember sitting in the front room and this one scene in this movie always stuck with me. It is this mother standing by the grave of her son and the three teens are standing there near her and they were the ones responsible for her son's death. And she looks at them and puts a curse on each one of them that within seven days, one of them will die. Seven days later, another will die. And, and it's all going to, and, and then seven days later, finally the third one will die. She puts this curse on them and it stuck with me. I mean, that scene just scared that for some reason it really just creeped me out. Yeah. And that stuck with me for a lot of years. <laughs> Right. And I never knew the name of the movie. I never knew anything about it. Then, I guess it was back in 2011, it was for the blog, I had gotten these Grindhouse DVDs. <laughs> and I popped in this one just to watch it. And damn if it wasn't that movie. And I'll tell you what, because I had thought about that movie all through my school years. Every few months, I would just remember that scene. It just it was that powerful on <laughs> me of remembering that. And the movie is from 1973. It's called Encounter with the Unknown. And it's narrated by Rod Serling. And what it is, it's almost like an, an anthology. And that story is the first one about the woman who puts a curse on her two kids. Uh, they have other ones in there. I know one of them uh, you know, is sort of the old uh, legend of a guy driving down the street and picks up a ghost. Um, and they go back to the house and nobody, and nobody knows, oh, that person's been dead for a lot of years. One of those type of things. I don't know that it's, it's, it's not a great movie, but man, did it have an effect on me? Um, yeah. and, and, and it was just the damnedest thing of all of a sudden in 2011, I mean, you're looking at a good, uh, what we're looking at like 1975 when I saw this thing. So you're looking at a good 36 years later, I accidentally find this movie. <laughs> um, and that's what it was called, Encounter with the Unknown. Um, there were TV shows. There was an episode of Star Trek. I think it's from the third season. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's an episode where this this flying bat-like thing attaches itself to Mr. Spock's back. Mm, okay. That had me running behind the chair. <laughs> <It just laughs> scared me so bad yeah. as I was watching that. 
That was um, one of my favorite places. I my grandma was actually telling my son this the other day that I used to watch movies from behind the couch because I was too <laughs> scared to sit there and watch it. So I would hide behind the couch and then peek out and watch what was going on. I That's what that. I did too. I ended up peeking around to make sure I still watched a lot of this episode, but boy, that got to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> that just really got to me. Um and I remember seeing some um episodes of Dark Shadows uh, you know, back then as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it might have been. I think it might have even been the first one where there's this one with these paintings, and I can't remember exactly. Like it in the painting, this creature is getting closer to the house, and every time you look at the painting, the creature's at a different area, getting closer to the house, mm-hmm. and, and it's showing it. Then all of a sudden, you see the creature, like they show in the painting. There's someone on the on the front step, and all of a sudden, there's a bang on the door. Wow, and that and that was I was very young when 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 that one <laughs> that's awesome. came out as well. I love that. Um, theatrically, you know, I didn't. Cable was when I really started to to like get all out with with the horror movies. That's not well. My parents took me to see Jaws two at the drive in back in when that came out in seventy eight. So I was nine years old then. They took me to see Jaws two at the drive in. Um, it had just been released. You know, obviously Jaws was a big movie and they took me, my brother and a friend of ours to the drive-in and it was a double feature of Jaws and Roller Coaster. Um, and boy, there's, there's the scene in Jaws 2, I mean, not Jaws, Jaws 2. There's that scene in Jaws 2 where Roy Scheider turns over, I don't know if it's a ski or just some wood or something in this. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wow. That, <laughs> that was very, very, uh, traumatic. I know that uh, For me. That scene. Um, and then after that, we did, me and my friends did go and see Poltergeist when it first came out. Uh, I guess it was 82. And that was because what happened was Raiders of the Lost Ark was the movie for me. That's the one that that I didn't just love that movie. It made me want to know more about movies. It made yeah. me want to know the people behind them and right. how they did what they did and, and so forth. So it's the one that really helped me. It's the one that made me fall in love with movies, to be honest with you. Just that whole opening sequence. Uh, I was just mesmerized. So the next year, I saw Spielberg's name was attached to Poltergeist. We had a general idea that it was like, you know, kind of a spooky movie or whatever. <laughs> so it was a, it's a like bright, sunny afternoon in the summer. Um, you know, our parents dropped us off at the theater and we all went in there. <laughs> and man, it scared the hell out of us. Holy cow. Yes. I'll tell you what. Um, and that actually ended up being the first movie I ever videotaped off of cable. When we finally got a VCR, Poltergeist was the first movie I videotaped. Because even though it scared nice. me, I loved it so much and I watched it. I probably watched that tape 20 times, <laughs> you know, in, in like the first couple months. Because I, I just really like, I really like that movie. Um you know, Thriller was the movie like that, like you mentioned. Um, I've talked about Thriller a million times, the music video, I should say. But uh-huh. that was the one for me when I saw it. I was just like, I want to know how movies are made. And uh, there was the making of Thriller VHS tape was at the store. And I would go and watch that um, oh, over and cool. over and over again, all the makeup effects. But yeah, that was at 82 as well. 82 was a good year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and and that I remember. Th- I remember rushing home from school to catch Thriller because they let MTV. You know, they didn't always tell you what videos were coming on when. You just sort of turned it on, and then you saw the videos. But they were they put in the times of here's when Thriller's going to play. It was so fun. And, and I remember like running home from like 
the bus dropped us off and I wanted to get home in time to catch Thriller for the first time. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought that I thought that was awesome. By the way, anyone who wants to hear a full review of Poltergeist, Dave covered that on – you guys covered that on episode 55. That was the Poltergeist versus episode where yes. mm-hmm. we reviewed the old and the new remake of Poltergeist. I still haven't wow. seen the remake. I just can't bring myself to see the remake. Episode 37 was the Christmas Horror 2014 episode where we reviewed Gremlins as well. Yeah. Right. I can't yeah. believe that was like 40-some episodes ago that we did I know. That's Poltergeist. Amazing. Time is That is flying. amazing. It is flying. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, um, and, and other things like I remember a friend of mine um, bought me. This is as I'm getting a little bit older and I'm already into these movies because one of the and I've said it before. One of the great things about my house was my parents weren't into horror, fantasy, um, you know, action sort of movies. They were drama, comedy and things like that. So they policed me with those movies they policed mm-hmm. me like i wasn't allowed to see um like well caddyshack which i saw anyway i woke up early one morning <laughs> when it saw it. but i wasn't allowed to see an officer and a gentleman those kind of movies because they said <laughs> they're not appropriate for you poor so kid they said, well look an officer and a gentleman is is not something that you know it's not for you it's not for it's not for young kids I yeah. said, okay, I'm going to go watch Excalibur. They said, okay, go watch your sword movie. That's fine. <laughs> because it, it and, uh, which is obviously like 10 times worse, I think, than, than, I don't know about 10 times worse, but things happen in that movie that are worse than happen in Officer and a Gentleman. Right. It just was off their radar. And horror was, was one of those. So I would be watching The Shining. And I remember seeing The Shining, The Thing, some of the Friday the 13th movies, um, uh, The Fun House. All these kind of movies on cable when they just, you know, um, they were just there. I mean, they, yeah. I could watch them any time. I mean, The Shining was a particularly uh, uh, strong experience for me because I had woke – it was early in the morning. I think I started watching it around 3 a.m. Um, and by the time – I had to go to school later that day. And by the time it got to um, that part uh, at the end, you know, in the maze – that it was it was unbearable the tension you know it was <laughs> yeah. absolutely unbearable um wow. alien alien was another one I, I i think we talked about this jay on, on movie podcast weekly i don't know which episode it was when we were talking about like our we went over all of our lists but alien was an eye-opening experience for me because the the scene with the captain where yes. he's going in to look for you know the, this creature and I just said to myself, he's going to be fine. He's the captain. Right. Nothing's going to happen to him. He's going to survive. He's he's the main guy. He's he's going to be fine. I guess I was going back to my Star Trek days. I was saying, you know, just send the red suit, red shirt guy in there, and he, he won't make it. But the captain's always going to come back. <laughs> um, and of course, there's that great scene in there, and it, it you know makes you jump. Um, but then another. I can't believe ve- you saw Shining as a kid. I did. I I saw The Shining when I was younger, but. Again, like I said, my, my parents just, just didn't police those yeah. those sort of movies. They were off their radar. And that would have messed me up so bad. Yeah. It was oh, it was it was strong. It was strong. And another one that, that had gone, this is I'll just sort of wrap up with this one, um, was the original Night of the Living Dead. I saw that mm-hmm. later on. A friend of mine had bought the video. Obviously, it's you know, public domain. Um, he bought the video for me uh, for my birthday. And I remember popping it in and I'm watching it. And, you know, th- that movie just has a very strange effect because you're watching it. And you're like, 
okay, yeah, these things are, you know, kind of scary. You got that whole opening scene in the graveyard that sets things up. Um, but then you're like, well, you can get past these things. Look, I mean, there's a few scenes where the guy, you know, they walk out on the porch and they sidestep the zombies. They light a chair on fire and, and whatever. It's like these things, you know, you can, you can outrun these things if a time comes. But it's just the way that the, 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 the slow build more and more <laughs> and more showing up. Yeah. And that to the point that now they're everywhere. And then the, where, where it finally pushed me over the edge was later in the movie when you see them actually feasting. When something happens and you see them actually feasting. Yeah. Boy, I was, that was at that point. That was the, the point. Again, I was watching this in the middle of the day. That was the point where I was like, whoa. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I was glad I was watching it in the middle of the day, but I still turned a light on in the damn room because, <laughs> it, because it, it just got to me. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I agree 100%. Yeah, what you guys have talked about really has just stirred a lot within me, a lot of memories, and I hope that this is this little nostalgia trip down memory lane here, I hope it does the same for the listeners. Because I'm with you, I was into Scooby-Doo as well, you guys. But speaking of Rod Serling, uh, the Twilight Zone was a big part of my uh, formative mm-hmm. years. My dad loved yeah. the Twilight Zone and, you know, those little twists and... Eh, it's a little bit unsettling. It's kind of freaky. And my dad was a big part of it. He was actually um, the first horror fan in my life. He loved Stephen King. He read all of Stephen King's books. And I just realized just the other day that my dad and I react similarly to horror. Like um, you'll hear in an upcoming episode about how I laughed with Andy Howell <laughs> through Don't Breathe. I laughed a lot in that. And we were the only two weirdos in the theaters laughing. And it's just because like, you know, when my dad would read a scene like in Misery, when he was reading the book Misery and those awful things she would do to him, uh, you know, he was just like giggling and, and wiggling and writhing. And he just thought it was so hilarious or something. And it, it kind of affects me that way, too. Uh, I also agree, like, in grade school, you guys, like, Thriller. I remember when that came out and I watched that. Mm -hmm. I was really sensitive to it, too. It, like, flipped me out a little bit. It was a little creepy. And um, (laughs) because my name is is Jason, you know, every Friday the 13th that came around or every time a Friday the 13th movie came out, everybody would be like, ooh, Jason, don't kill (laughs) us. You know, like, really weird (laughs) stuff. And, And, you know, they would always say that, but. You told some good stories about that on the uh, Friday the 13th franchise. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, like, I figured I'd mention that before. But, um, yeah, and then, like, The Shining, I, I to- I'm totally with you. Because my dad was a Stephen King fan, of course, any Stephen King movie that came out, I was aware of it or I got to see some of it. Like, um, Cujo, I saw a very young. And um, Maximum Overdrive, which is not a great movie but um still saw things like that weird stuff and that that gets Uh a little bit later but uh, my my biggest most formative like scarring me memory is uh, i was very young probably i don't know i want to say i don't know it'd be five or six years old and i where most of my horror (laughs) experience came from as a child was at my aunt and uncle's house my cousin's they had HBO and Cinemax, and, yeah. and they were the first family, the first people in my whole extended family that had a VCR in the early 80s. And so oh, they, would nice. rent, they would rent horror movies, and then HBO and Cinemax would have those kind of things on. 
And I remember one night, my family, the adults were watching The Exorcist, and I had um, another cousin who was just really, just really curious. He wanted to watch it. He wasn't allowed. We weren't allowed to see it. And I was kind of freaked out. So we were in the kitchen, but we kept peeking, you know, around the corner at the TV uh-huh. and we would catch little glimpses. And man, that's, um, that changes a person at oh, that yeah. age. <laughs> and, and, and even hearing it, just hearing the sounds uh, of the exorcist that was just really upsetting. And then when I was just a tiny oh, bit gosh. older, Elvira, uh, Cassandra Peterson, um, <laughs> the, the horror hostess of Elvira's movie macabre. And, um, you know, she was always on and we'd watch the B movies that she would, you know, be presenting and stuff. And of course, Josh, like you, um, Gremlins. And then my, the last thing I wanted to say there was like um, the movie Brainstorm, which is really more of a sci-fi type thriller from 1983. That one freaked me out as well. Um, it's not it's not really a horror movie, but it, it really puts you kind of face to face with death in a very unsettling yeah, that, way. It, it, that's a, yeah. a very interesting movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to, I watched that again. Well, it's been a few years now, but there are parts of that that definitely hold up that whole sort of recording somebody's experience. Yeah. And, and you could like, they do the whole sort of thing where they, they turn it into a porn industry and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that somebody records when they die and it captures that entire experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's really, something. yeah. And the performances in that film are really, <laughs> really good. And so they work well. And speaking of Christopher Walken, another, I mean, brainstorm kind of scarred me. The exorcist scarred me a little bit. And then the alien movie, uh, communion, oh, um, my gosh. man, that oh. even now, when I talk about it now, it flips me out and I'm a bit uncomfortable. So, um, <laughs> you know, the listeners, you know, they asked which movies scarred us as children. I'd have to say, um, the exorcist brainstorm and communion, those really have stuck with me and the shining as well. Yeah. You know, um, you, you know, when you guys are talking about this, you're reminding me of so many other things I didn't discuss. But one awesome thing about that era that I remember so much is, you know, there'd be these shows that were just on once a year, every year at Halloween, mm-hmm. and I'd wait all year to watch them. I'd be so excited, just like waiting all year for it to come on again. And <laughs> the shows that I really remember having a big horror impact on me, the first one is kind of funny, but um, like The Wizard of Oz. The oh, yeah. Flying Monkeys and the Wicked Witch uh-huh. of the West. I remember watching that every single year and just being excited to see it on television again. And that had a major impact on me. Yes, um, me too. Well, we're going to talk yeah. about Ichabod Crane later, but um, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Mad Monster Party. Those are just shows I watched every <laughs> single year. Yes. And man, I rewatched Mad Monster Party with my kids last year and it's weird. It's so weird and messed up and almost unwatchable and I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but, uh, <laughs> but Charlie Brown remains to me the, the classic Halloween watching show. It's yeah. So great. Oh, I yeah. watch that every year that and the fat Albert Halloween special. I'm sure I've seen that, but I have not ever revisited it. I need to check out fat Albert. Well, on this very night, right before we hit record here tonight, um, I had just purchased the, the Charlie Brown, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown special that you were talking about. I had purchased that at Walmart as well as Bugs Bunny's Halloween special from 1977. 
Nice. And man, that thing, I, I always loved and remembered the Bugs Bunny special, but I'll just tell people right now, right up front, if you got young kids, I mean, this one's good. I mean, I, my, I was watching with my five-year-old daughter and she was like scrunching up her face a little bit where I could tell it was just a tiny bit freaking her out, you know, the Bugs Bunny thing. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty awesome. I mean, we had a great time watching that. So both of those are on sale right now at Walmart, just so people know. But. I liked how you guys were talking about the movies, especially Jay, you're talking about those movies, what you watch with your dad. Um, mm. That's a big thing. And I think there was a whole other set of classic films, you know, that I wanted to talk about that kind of, I was introduced to by my mom or my grandpa or my uncle or whoever, you know, just like, and the universal monsters were very early um, influences on me. And those were um, the films of Alfred Hitchcock and, the uh, the Don Knotts like movies like the Ghost of Mr. Chicken and <laughs> the Detectives or was that is it called the Detect- Private Eyes Private, Private Eyes, Eyes that's right mm-hmm. like those types of films had a big influence on me all those big uh, bug kind of sci fi movies <laughs> like you know the original The Fly and them and, uh, <laughs> yes from another world and Invasion of the Body Snatchers those old sci fi movies had a big impact on me. Yeah. And you know what? And I had forgotten something too while you were talking. It reminded me when you mentioned Elvira. Yeah, I, uh, my namesake, the one who I, you know, Dr. Shock had a show on Philadelphia, I think from throughout the 70s. And it was at, on the weekend and he would show those schlocky B movies. Uh, <laughs> the one that I always remember um, uh, was, I think it was called The Incredible Two Headed Transplant with Rosie Greer. Uh, and Ray Milland, I think it was, or was it Ray Milland? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting them mixed up. That might not have been the, that might've just been the man with two heads. There's two of them. There's, there's one that like, it's just called the the incredible two headed transplant. That might've been the one with Bruce Dern. I got to look this up because I did review both of them, but both, I, I think I saw both of those movies on, um, on Dr. Shock's show that he had here in Philadelphia. Nice. Um, Cause he just showed a, a lot of those kind of movies and he did get into the old uh, science fiction ones as well. And, and I think he might've even shown something like uh, Jason and the Argonauts at one point. Nice. Um, but I'm trying to think, I, I can't remember which it is. It's the one that I remember the most is the one with Rosie Greer. And I don't know if that one is called, the incredible two headed transplant or not. If that's a, uh, no, it's a different one. This, the, 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 uh, incredible two headed transplant has Bruce Stern and Pat priest from the monsters. That's another thing. The monsters. Oh um, yeah. The monsters. Touch on that, huge. The, the monsters in the Adams family. Oh, you know? yes. excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad that I'm glad you remembered those Dr. Shocker. The listeners had been like, guys, guys, what about There's right? Yeah. <laughs> There's this new song, and I don't know if how new it is. I don't listen to like the radio, <laughs> but my my kids do when they're in the car with my wife. And there's apparently this new song that samples the Monsters theme song. And yes. I it the other day, and it was I don't know what it is either, but yeah. yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a good that original song is so good, and yeah, it's so absolutely. fun to hear it in that context. That was one of the things when I did take the Universal Studios tour. Um, and that was in 86 at that point I had been familiar with at least a a number of the old classics. I had, I had actually gotten them on video. I'd recorded them like Frankenstein 
which was has always been my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I remember one of the the two coolest things were well, there were a lot of cool things. We saw the Psycho House and. Of course, the Jaws creature and everything. Where oh. my father, my father missed the Jaws creature because my mother had him taking a picture of Cabot Cove from Murder She Wrote, which he <laughs> pointed out was across the lake. He still talks about that. He gets really Love angry it. about it. <laughs> he just he just keeps saying that damn Cabot Cove. My mother had him taking a picture. He completely missed the Jaws coming <laughs> up next to the next to the car. Um, but they took us past. Um, the old sort of European set where they shot and I could just picture them doing like Hunchback of Notre Dame with, with Lon Chaney and Frankenstein on those sets and everything. And then we went past the Munster's house, which was really pretty cool too. Those those are all like on that tour. At least it was back in the mid (laughs) eighties. You know, what's cracking me up right now, you guys, is that, um, like on our agenda, this is so this is so much fun. I hope the listeners are enjoying this as much as we are so far because I am having a blast and listening to you guys is just reminding me of so much. It's stirring it up within me, and I'm like, I realize we're at about 45 minutes, and then I'm like, oh, this is the first of seven segments tonight. So, so I don't know how I don't know how we're gonna rein it in, but I mean, honestly, like. It opens the floodgates for our initial love of horror and how it came to be. And it's almost like, I would say with all three of us, it sounds like that we developed into it. I mean, we were really afraid, like like yeah. truly frightened of some oh, things. Absolutely. But uh-huh. But even so, even though we were scared to death and in some cases scarred, it ended up kind of... I guess making us um, love and appreciate it. And so one of the first things I was going to ask you guys in the concept discussion is just in terms of the way that we have defined horror so many times and what it is and how extreme it is or how scary it is or how off-putting it is, all that stuff. Do you think there's really such a thing as horror for children or horror that's um, kid friendly? I mean, would you even call it horror? Is that, is that a thing? I think so. I mean, you have to think of it in the context that it's created and and viewed. I mean, a a child who sees, you know, uh, now it was almost at The Shining, which would have been a terrible example. But (laughs) when my kids saw Abbott and Costello meet, you know, any of the monsters the first time, they were scared. And Uh that is uh, scary for them. And so it's functioning the way horror functions. Yeah. So it's relative, you're saying. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think horror for kids often as i mentioned with the laugh track on scooby-doo it does take measures to undercut some of those scares and i think that's okay for beginners Mm -hmm. you know i think that's that's all right and a lot of the films that i had on my list of horror for kids i noticed crossed over a lot with my horror comedies list from a few episodes back when we did that themed episode. Yes. And I realized, you know, the comedy is a way in. It's this other emotion that you can kind of get you with. Even if the horror isn't your thing, it it can get you on this whole other level and um, ease you into it a little bit. So I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's a shame because for my kids, there was no easing because what happened was they just (laughs) happened to walk by when I was watching a horror movie, stop and watch and got traumatized. I mean, I would tell them, I'd say, (laughs) okay, this is a, there's a horror movie here. And they said, Oh no, I'm just going to see a little bit of it. Um, I remember when my kids isn't going back maybe five years. So they weren't that young. 
Um, I guess my oldest son was maybe, I don't know, he might have, no, he was probably like 13 at the time. Um, my, so my youngest was, was, uh, 10. I put in creep show and I'm watching yes. creep show and they both came in and they were watching that opening segment. And my oldest son who does not like horror and he tells me all the time, I mean, he would, he would shut his, he closed his eyes when I was watching the 1979 Nosferatu. He couldn't watch it. He had to close his eyes every time he walked through the room. Yeah. But he sat and watched the entire creep show. Mm. And I said, you know what? That movie kind of you know, got me when I was on on cable all those years ago. It scared me. I said, I'm impressed. You sat through the whole thing. Well, it turned out he sat through the whole thing because he didn't want to get up and go in another room by himself. <laughs> so I was kind of trapped there. And I didn't find that out Stuck. until the movie, until the final credits are rolling and I was complimenting him. <laughs> Oh, wow. sitting there and watching the whole thing. He said, <laughs> you know, probably the most traumatic was when they walked in in the last few minutes of Sleepaway Camp. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> they walked in and they, they were watching. And I, I had, you know, that was something I had not been as familiar with that when that first came <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, my god! So gosh. I was only sort of like, and I had, I had heard about it, of course, but I, I didn't really, you know, know the ramifications. And that last scene. <laughs> I just remember my youngest son, he's got his hands like on his face, you know, like the sort of see no evil type of monkey. He's got his hands on his face, like over his ears, just looking at it. And he goes, how are we supposed to go to bed now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fine. That you're poor kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, there was no easing in. And there was, I think, and, and, you know, unfortunately, I didn't hit stop soon enough because I did do that when they walked in and I was watching the exorcist, but I didn't oh. get it quite soon enough because my oldest son, he was shaken. Uh, I'm telling you that it, it never fails. Like we're growing up and stuff. You'd be watching something and you'd be alone the whole time. And right at the worst possible moment is when your mom would walk in oh, and absolutely. she'd right. be like, what are you watching? You know, exactly. like, yeah, or something. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I remember watching the getaway at my friend Clint's house when <laughs> that came out. <laughs> his mom walking in. Um, well, yeah, I was going to talk about some of these, you know, and I will again some of these titles when we get to our PG thirteen horror episode sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth discussing as you talk about is Kitty horror still horror? I think it is. I mean, I don't think the rating uh, or even the seriousness of the horror is always the thing that's the most terrifying. I think the uncanny, as you talked about with The Twilight Zone or some of those old sci-fi movies that we were talking about, that can be almost as terrifying. Um, Tension, for sure. Like when I would get into these old Hitchcock movies, that was the biggest scare, was the tension and the way that that was working on me. And I think about PG-13 movies like Arachnophobia. Mm -hmm. That's a scary movie to me. Uh, what lies uh-huh. beneath uh, the village? You know all of these um, M Night Shyamalan movies, The Sixth Sense, The Visit, Devil. I know he didn't direct that one, but The Village. Those are good <laughs> movies that I consider horror movies, and I think a kid could watch those movies safely. Right. And they're gonna scare. And then I tell my son this all the time: I'm as scared as you are right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice, Josh. <laughs> but it's true. I, mean, I always like, always let my kids think that I'm totally cool so they can have some comfort in that. But I love oh, that you're oh. like, I'm just as afraid as you are. I feel oh, just yeah, as vulnerable. That, well, I think it's important for them to know, like, it's not scary. You know, I, and I think that's true. I mean, I really like movies that you oftentimes call kiddie movies. 
probably just because I'm in this Peter Pan state of perpetual childhood in my mind, but I, I still relate to movies like the Goonies and the lost boys and, and stranger right. things, which is another uh-huh. great example of childhood horror. Um, but I, I, those things skills still scare me. I still get scared by Pennywise, the clown and him mm-hmm. luring a child into the thing. And, and some of that's changed as we've talked about in the past. Like now I'm looking at it from the perspective of a parent, but I can also some still feeling that as a child, and I get revved up when, you know, the Frog Brothers go to <laughs> go kill some vampires because I yes. feel at one with their mission as kids. I still feel like a kid when I'm in those. Sure. It, it, it's so strange because The Lost Boys was one of the movies that you know my my kids had walked in on, and my oldest son that there's there's a, the, the scene late in the movie, and I don't want to go into too much, I don't want to go into spoilers or anything, but late in the movie when there's a showdown and it's starting to happen. My oldest son was like, this is scaring me, but I don't want to not watch. <laughs> he, <laughs> right. like he was so into what was <laughs> about to happen. He's like, this is scaring me, but I don't want to leave. I, I got to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with, and it's funny because it, it just reminded me of another very um, strong memory for me again, middle of the day coming home from school, but Salem's lot. Oh yeah. I saw that one um I think I was still in grade school mm. when I saw Salem's Lot. That and was holy an, cow. That was an early one for me too that scarred me. The master. Me the and that's a TV movie. Uh, that's another yeah. one with a kid where you that's feel like a kid. Exactly. That kid. That's uh, that movie is still horrifying to me. And I think probably partly because it was when I saw it, you know, like it's scary to us because we saw it back then. But also, I think it's legitimately still freaky vampire movie. But absolutely, it is. It's also one of movies. The best. You know, when I think about like classic Halloween movies that I, you know, have around the house that I keep in the Halloween box, like they're not they're not stored in my horror movie selection. But you know, just like Charlie Brown, I I whip it out every Halloween. <laughs> Uh (laughs) and uh, and those are like hocus pocus and the witches Mm -hmm. those are both way scarier than they should be for kids movies right oh absolutely those are kind of terrifying movies yeah yeah i i get that i see i see what you're saying the lady the lady in white which you which you mentioned josh and i talked about not too long ago that scene in the what is that the you know the um uh, i guess the the coat room Yes. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly intense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that is geared towards kids. You could tell by the humor at the beginning and the way they're setting up the characters that, that it has sort of a juvenile nature to it. Yeah. And- but boy, that, that opening, <laughs> that scene in that, in that is really, really intense. In the trailer for that movie, by the way, because when I pulled the trailer for your review, I, you know, I watched the trailer and stuff mm-hmm. that we did like a couple weeks ago or whatever. And yeah, the trailer is pretty silly. Actually, it's pretty lighthearted. But yeah, the film's mm-hmm. not that way. But um, as far as like going back to the concept discussion, though, you, you know how I like to analyze things, and the way I broke it down as far as like how horror movies work for kids or why they work for kids, I think it comes down to tone and intensity. But but specifically, you know, I'm always saying tone and intensity with the TNA stuff too. But I think it's the degree of realism. You know, and and I'll be talking about this more in Monster House, but the degree of realism or what what it seems like to be real life, like uh, our kids perceiving that what they're actually witnessing on the screen 
is actually happening in the real world or could happen to them. And I also think uh-huh. another aspect of it is the depiction of suffering or the depiction of pain. Like if an individual is is being hurt physically or, or showing pain or agony or torture or something, you know, kids' movies won't do that usually. And then, right. and then that ties in with on-screen violence, like the actual violence that we see. And then, of course, hand-in-hand with that is blood and gore. So usually for like a kid's horror movie, and once again, we'll be talking about this momentarily with Monster House, but, you know, you don't have the infliction of pain or the on-screen violence. If it's violence, it's cartoonish, and there's not blood or gore. And I think that that all makes up the tone and intensity. Yeah. But I think there are, I think the, even just the themes are important in horror. I think, um, it's not just about the gore, you know, as we all know, it's, there are something about these stories, um, that attract a lot of us. And I think they are dealing with aspects of humanity that are often difficult or uncomfortable. So you can deal with those without, a lot of gore. You can deal with those without a lot of intensity and you can still get at the root of some of these difficult topics. Um, like an example of a totally benign film in terms of scares for kids. Again, there's a little more sex and, and language than you would hope for as a parent maybe, but like a teen wolf um, is a movie that, you know, you could watch when you're in kindergarten other oh, than, yeah. you know, in terms of scares and it's not going to freak you out too much, but the themes that it's dealing with are still really interesting. And uh, it's about this family kind of curse of being a loser essentially, and him not being able to control his temper and his shame. And those are classic horror themes in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh-huh. I think, you know, I, the werewolf, you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but it's probably obvious, was one of the first monster that I really glommed onto as a child. And I have been obsessed with werewolves my whole life. And Teen Wolf was a big part of that, not just the movies, which I loved, but also the Saturday morning cartoon series was a a favorite of mine. Um, Also, the Michael Landon, I was a teenage werewolf and, you know, the original Wolfman. And all of these movies I really um, responded to for whatever reason. And part of it was just it was a cool-looking hairy creature because I also liked Ewoks and Wookiees and Bigfoot. And so (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was just in my wheelhouse. Um, But I I think it was these thematic elements that those stories dealt with that I could really relate to as a kid for whatever reason. So You just reminded me, and I think it might have been called Monster Squad. It was a Saturday morning show when I was younger and for some reason it might've been called monster squad. Yeah, that I'm, looking it, kind of- I'm looking it up now because it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it's not obviously the monster squad from 1987. Let me look right. that up here. Right. Um, it's, While you're talking about that, you know, we touched on this briefly during the Ghostbusters review with the sci-fi guys, but there was the real Ghostbusters cartoon series when we were kids that was on television, which I love. Me I too. That all the time. And there was another uh, show called Ghostbusters, which is why they had to call theirs the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, that was like a bat. Uh, oops, I almost said a non-kid friendly word. 
<laughs> I, I refrained. <laughs> but I actually really liked that too. I mean, I know it's not as good, but and it's certainly not related to the Ghostbusters franchise in any way. But there's like a gorilla and a talking skeleton and a few of these characters, and I found it in a bargain bin at Walmart a few years ago, like one of those discs that doesn't even have a case. Have you seen those at Walmart? Oh, it's just yes. Like the the <laughs> cardboard thing. <laughs> yes. I picked up a copy of Ghostbusters. I thought, I'm going to get around to watching that. I haven't yet. Nice. Oh, man. <laughs> I have no idea why this show stuck with me as much as it did, because it only played, it was only on for, it looks like, five episodes. But it is called Monster Squad. It is from um, the mid-70s. And it has Fred Grandy from The Love Boat. Uh, who was that? Gopher from The Love Boat. <laughs> as this guy who I think he works at a wax museum. And the, the wax, mu- the wax uh, figurines of the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein come to life to battle evil. I absolutely remember this. Mm. Oh, I have it seen was- this somewhere. 76. It looks like it came out in in 76. I knew I was still living in Delaware County when it came out. I knew we were still (laughs) down that way um, because it was on Saturday morning. I knew it was. I know it's on Saturday morning that I I used to watch this. And I just remember thinking it was the coolest thing in the world. I I recognize this. I'm looking at the cover. I don't know. Maybe I just have Googled Monster Squad so many times that I've seen it. but. but But it just... It doesn't. It looked like it was only on for. I mean, they have like thirteen episodes, but yeah. it looks like it was only on for. It was only on for five episodes. And I wasn't even alive then. But there's um, <laughs> the complete series. It looks like is available on DVD or something. So maybe you know. I got. I think I got to pick it up because I got. I got to. I got to try and relive these. Uh, that I, I remember finding. <laughs> I remember. This is boy. This is the. This is the darndest thing. I remember finding this show. The first time I ever drank Hawaiian punch. Oh. <laughs> because they were having a they were having a block party in our neighborhood and someone was selling Hawaiian punch for a quarter a can. And I liked it so much I bought a dollar's worth of them and brought them back and sat in the basement of my house where the TV was and watched this stupid show, Monster Squad. Wow. While I was drinking my very first Hawaiian punch. We are we are Boy, that, tapped that, in right I now. To... I don't think I thought of that in 35. Well, I, probably since it happened. <laughs> Holy cow. We are tapped into Dr. Shock's psyche right now. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's a scary place to be. I don't want to be in there. So, Jay, on the theme discussion element of um, just back to that idea of scariness I, and and what I, the point I was kind of making about these kind of horror themes or – or, or just even horror-adjacent material, I think that's also kind of great entry drug stuff. Because oh, yeah. I think um, even if it isn't actually scaring you, like I mentioned, I show my kids Monsters, Inc. and try to trick them, you know, f- manipulate their small brains into thinking that they <laughs> like monster stuff. Right. Um, you know, they're like, I'm in the mood for a Disney movie. Great, let's put in uh, Monsters, <laughs> let's put in Monsters, Inc. Oh, let's put in Paranorman. <laughs> I, you know, right. um, instead of finding Nemo or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But nice. um, I think there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, from when I, when I was a kid, and I obviously I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and probably horror fans in general can probably relate to this as well. But there, I just liked the aesthetic of things, even if they weren't necessarily horror. Like Edward Scissorhands is a movie I remember when that came out. I just 
something about that gothic aesthetic. And of course it had Vincent Price in it as well. Mm -hmm. But like, I really responded to that as a horror fan and I, that became one of my favorite movies. And I think it's a good movie for other reasons as well. But that era of Tim Burton with Beetlejuice as well, like those, they weren't, you know, straight up horror films, but there was something about those movies that really, um, I really responded to. I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think that was, uh, aside from my huge crush that I had on Daphne, but that's why I loved <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Like the look of Scooby-Doo <laughs> is incredible. And then, you know, within the past few episodes, we had that that excellent artwork that was featured. I just love looking at those. I found myself being in our show notes just looking at the artwork. I.B. Trav. Yeah, I.B. Trav's yeah. work there. And um, man, I just, uh, yeah, that aesthetic, there's something that kind of, I think, draws us in about it but but anyway so we've put in an hour here on setting up the concept discussion and talking about our origin (laughs) our horror origins as fans and i'm sure the listeners have a lot of good origin stories too i wanted to make sure i um didn't forget to mention because bonnie had asked us to to mention what was that one thing it was called uh the boogity Mr. Boogity. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Boogity from uh, Nightmare uh, Before Christmas. <laughs> um, no, no, no. This is um. So this was a you know we we talked about this a little bit, but there was like the Disney Sunday Night of the Movies basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. I really remember that they had every uh, Sunday night they would have like a different movie, and the Boogity films were um, big yes. ones for them. And I those were rem- I don't re- I remember the Disney movies. I don't remember those though. Yeah, look up Unless Mr. Boogity. You were probably <laughs> in high school, Dave. By I was probably time. a little bit older. Yeah, so okay. it probably didn't um, affect you as much. I mean, there were look Disney did a lot of interesting live action stuff. Actually, if, you know, we talked about Watcher in the Woods really briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was in there, and then um, that was when I was really, really young, or maybe even too young to really appreciate it when it was first out. Because I guess it it really came out in 1981. It had been they tried to release it earlier with little success, but um, but that was an early movie that just freaked the crap out of me. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh yeah, uh-huh. it's one of those. But Mr. Boogity came out um, later when I was in high school. You know, Disney's Tower of Terror. I know was a big one for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, Disney, I don't know. I think they had a pretty interesting live action track record there. I mean, Watcher in the Woods, I think, is set up like a really creepy British eighties like. 70s horror movie mm-hmm. whereas mr boogity is a little more on the nose and goofy but it still you know had the ability to scare me as a kid yeah oh. absolutely so at this point let's go ahead and move into our feature review of monster house every neighborhood has a house with a secret awesome kite There's something going on at that house. This is why nobody will sit next to us at lunch. You'll see. No ghosts. All right, Monster House is a 2006 animated film. It was Gil Kennan's directorial debut, guys. And this film was probably, we've said this before, it's probably the reason Kennan got to direct the 2015 Poltergeist remake. So uh, shame on you, Dr. Shock, for not supporting Gil Kennan's work. And checking well, that I've out yet? Monster, I've seen Monster House, right? And I, I did, I did, uh, I did enjoy it. Um, but I've no, seen I City of Ember I, as well, his second film, not no. as good. It's, 
it does Correct. not make me want to it, it, it monster house does not make me want to crush my childhood memories and I, i'm not even that type. i normally don't get that way with remakes i was just i i've said it before i'm just amazed how affected i was by that poltergeist remake how much i did not want to see that movie remade well sir that's why i'm here tonight is to help you love monster house even on a deeper level <laughs> yeah, right. this was uh written by uh, dan Harmon, rob Schrab, and pamela petler i'm going to talk more about dan Harmon toward the end of this review but the film it stars like it mainly stars these three kids that you probably don't know mitchell musso sam lerner and spencer Locke. they do the voices of the three main kids but the actors that you will recognize their voices you got steve buscemi nick cannon maggie gyllenhaal john heater Kevin oh, James, yeah. Jason Lee, and Kathleen Turner, Fred Willard. Good crew. A lot of people might not realize this was executive produced by Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg, and both of those names will actually um, be significant in this review. And Monster House, guys, it was shot using performance capture, where you had the, the actors, <clears throat> you know, they were wearing these sensors, and so... Um, it was the process that was pioneered by uh, Robert Zemeckis himself, and he did that on the film The Polar Express. Now, this oh, little trivia, this is... just one, yeah. What'd you say? To name just one, yeah, like the Christmas Carol and all those as well, right? Right, right. But that, I believe, wasn't The Polar Express his first... His I think it was. First was version first, of yes. this. The first one, yes. Mm -hmm. So... Yes. I think this is better in terms of... I mean, I don't want to jump the gun on your review. I just think that um, that film gets into the uncanny valley, and I think this film avoids it by being a little more cartoony. Oh yeah, in terms of the character design. I agree, and in fact, you know, just side note, I do think the Polar Express, for that very reason, the uncanny valley phenomenon. I think the Polar Express is a tiny bit creepy, actually. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Unintentionally, but it <laughs> unintentionally is. Unintentionally creepy, absolutely. There's no doubt. So so here's a little trivia that I picked up on that nobody else will care about, but um, Monster House was released on July 18th, uh, 2006, and that was exactly two years to the day before The Dark Knight was released. So mm. anyways, um, the, the premise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really lame. <laughs> I just said, I said right up front, nobody will care about that except me. So the premise, um, this is from IMDb, three teens discover that their neighbor's house is really a living, breathing, scary monster. And so I want to talk real quick to the horror filmmakers out there. And don't worry, Dr. Shock and Wolfman Josh, I'm going to kick this over to you guys too, but I got some preliminary here. If you plan to make a horror film or you would like to learn more about how to make a horror film, then I would suggest that Monster House is an effective template for horror filmmakers. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all horror film, but it is built exactly like an adult horror film or like a grown-up film. And I think in order to get to this point and to illustrate this for the context of this episode, we usually don't reveal major plot spoilers, but... In this one, I would like to go into spoilers for Monster House. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, then just please pause the podcast and go watch it because we're about to go in the major plus spoilers right now for Monster House. Oh, my dear. Oh, 
fly. Now, guys, I think this is probably the most interesting example of a horror film for kids because it helps you really compare and see the differences between an adult caliber movie versus a children caliber horror movie. And um, like I said, I think this is a full-blown, legitimate horror comedy film because it does have comedy in it. But even if you set those comedy aspects aside, there are only three differences that I that I could identify in this film. I've, I've seen it literally, I bet, 50 times with my kids. We watch it all the time. But I re-watched it last night for this review. And there are only three differences between like the kids' horror movies and this one. And I talked about this a little bit earlier. Number one would be stakes, okay? Because people are not killed, injured, or maimed in this film. Now, there is one death. And it is an accidental death. But otherwise, the stakes are not permanent. And then number two would be violence. And even though this is an animated film, um, you know, which we set up front, the violence that happens to the characters is still very cartoonish. Like even when the house is attacking, it's not realistically depicted in a real world sense. And so the characters are afraid, but they don't seem to be hurt physically. And they don't seem to be feeling pain from the violence per se. And then, of course, blood and gore. There's no blood and gore in this. So um, I'm just going to kick it off with that. I got much more to talk about, but I um, just want to see Wolfman Josh, what are your thoughts on Monster House? I, I'm a big fan of Monster House. I remember when it came out being kind of spellbound by the production style and, you know, the motion capture and. I remember wa- I saw it in the theaters in 3D, but I also remember watching the DVD when it came out and um, being really fascinated by the first time I'd ever seen them talking about we can take this digital camera and move it anywhere in the room because we now know where our characters exist in the 3D space. And that just blew my mind the first time <laughs> yes. I heard about that. And they were able to create such dynamic shots that were both uh, Spielberg you know, um, inspired, but also had some really awesome horror moments. There's a great shot with the shadow of a hand Mm. creeping across this kid's bedroom. Yes. And that's just an excellent horror movie shot. It would be much harder to do in live action and is well suited for, uh, the animated world. I do think it underutilizes some of the voice talent, which is a little bit disappointing to me because, just being big fans of some of the actors in this movie. I had heard about this. Here's, here's some trivia nobody will care about. I worked with on a movie with John Heater um, after he had recorded his performance for this, but before it came out. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about this on set. And when I, you know, I looked you know, at the IMDb page for the movie and was like, oh, cool. Like John Heater and, and Jason Lee are playing Skull and Bones. They're going to be some awesome like duo. And I, I, you know, I had like built this up in my head. Like, I don't know. I just feel like those characters are super underutilized. Um, Fred Willard and Catherine O'Hara from the Christopher Guest movies. Mm-hmm. They're so funny in those movies. You know, Waiting for Guffman, they, them as a team is one of the funniest comedic <laughs> duos I've ever seen. That's probably my favorite of, of the Christopher Guest movies is Waiting yeah. for Guffman. I they are so movie. funny. And it's, I, I mean, that was hard for me to overcome. The first shot of the movie had me instantly. Oh, the, yeah. The leaf, I remember that. To this day, I thought it was so well done. 
Um, this movie captures some of that childlike imagination for me. I There have been a few other movies that I would call similar to this that came out in the years after it or near it that I think for me surpassed this film. Um, really? But, yeah, I mean, I what? think wow. uh, Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were-Rabbit is a better <laughs> kids horror movie than this is. In my opinion, um, it's brilliant. And that one really lacks on the stakes by the end. It goes into kind of a King Kong story where it was really scary at the beginning. And I I felt like they kind of blew that in terms of seriousness. But um, that does some really charming things. My favorite movie, which I almost reviewed tonight, is Paranorman, I think, blows Monster House out of the water. Whoa. Paranorman is awesome. I think I think Monster House is really strong, and it's still like a highly rated film for me. It's a highly recommended film for me. This is one that sits on my shelf all year long. It's not one that just gets pulled out of Halloween. Um, I really like it. I showed it to my kids. They like it. I think my biggest problem with Monster House is, one, the animation doesn't quite hold up um, today. I think it's a little, it's a little bit dated. Hmm. But two... Um, I think the ending really falls apart for me. And I don't know how if you, how if we want to address that it is spoiler territory, but um I Well you think, can you can hit it because we're in full spoilers if you want to talk about it yeah, now. Yeah, I mean I just think once the house starts walking around and the stuff with the wife, I really lose interest in that movie. I'm much more interested in the movie it is up until that point. And I mm. and I guess to me it has that same problem that Walson Gromit Curse of the Were Rabbit has. And I think that's something that Paranorman overcomes. I think the Paranorman story, although, again, it softens the stakes a little bit to be kid-friendly, is, for me, just really emotion, much more emotionally potent and still mm. remains pretty scary. Like, I'm, re- I'm really not scared in Monster House by the third act, and I'm, I'm still scared in Paranorman. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, what do you say, Dr. Shock? I have not seen this. I, I took my kids to see it in the theater, and I have not seen it since then. Um, so my memories of it are a little fuzzy, but I do remember enjoying it. Okay, so you haven't reviewed this on your blog yet? No, I have not. Okay, well, put that on the list, please. Okay. Uh, as a reader of yours, I request gotcha. it. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Just kidding. But did, did you and your kids like it at the time in the theater? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, um, Josh, I, I, I like your points. I agree that the third act goes into that, that nether region <laughs> that m- most movies, in fact, go into for yes. their third a- act where they just kind of have to like, th- they kind of go off the rails and it goes a little crazy. But, well, let me, let me lead up to that. Let me talk about that. So the character types, though, because what I really want to, my objective in this review is to kind of put forth to the listeners, if they don't believe it, or at least try to convince the listeners that this film is a, a, a legitimate horror film. It's built exactly like any other horror film. Uh, DJ, the main character, he is the equivalent of the uh, virtuous, pure, virgin, heart of gold, compassionate character. So he's got those aspects. He also is the voice of warning. He's the the one that no one really listens to or believes, except slowly but surely. And we see this convention a lot in classic sci-fi horror movies, like in the 50s, like from things like 
it came from outer space from 1953 where the protagonist is running around trying to convince everything everybody that there there's a serious problem and nobody believes him and everybody's dismissing it until everything starts going down <laughs> and then um never cracker which is uh, the Steve Buscemi character. Yeah. He he in this film, he he's actually plays a really it's an interesting role, but um you could peg him as a harbinger of doom. He is the he is the one that's always like threatening the children and warning them, "Are you going to die? Do you want to die?" Like Yeah. <clears throat> so he he fulfills that role. And, and then, you think he's the threat for a big por- portion of the film as well. You do, you do, and that's kind of interesting. And then um, Skull, which is the John Heater character, he plays that role that we see in many horror films where you have an expert guide, somebody who is consulted, who gives you like this additional information. Usually they provide a lot of exposition and they usually give you some way to defeat the monster that you're battling. And, and he exactly plays that character. Now, Bones, which is hilarious character, he plays the jerk guy. Who's dumb, who's kind of like, I guess, I don't want to say dumb as in not intelligent, but he doesn't make the best decisions. And he's also the guy who's mean to the protagonist and um, quote unquote deserves to die, you know. Um, and then there's Constance and she is the epitome. Um, Constance is the lady who whose spirit inhabits the house and she's the perfect example of um, horror happens to those who deserve at least. And because as with many horror films, the monster of this film was in fact the worst victim all along. Um, you know, and, and because yeah. what, what we have here is, you know, you've got, it's like number five, I believe, on my 13 principles for making an effective horror film. Number five is true horror is born out of deep sorrow or profound rage often both. And so in this case, it comes from deep tragedy. You know, she was, um, I I guess abducted apparently, or, or she was, you know, commissioned to be in the circus apparently against her will. And she was abused and ridiculed because of her weight. And it's actually very sad and very heavy, especially for a kid's movie. And so, um, and then you've got this love story between her and Nebercracker. And, that love story, you know, it's a beautiful thing at first, but it it turns dark and sour. It's kind of um, a twisted little thing, and that that's also kind of creepy. So, as far as subgenre classification, you know, this is like a supernatural, haunted house, haunting, ghost movie, mystery, horror, comedy. It's like all those things, and um, I, I just it even has guys, even though it's a kids horror film. It even has a jump scare, which they provide at the end. Um, And the fact that the DJ character is um, spending a lot of time in his house spying next door reminds me a little bit of Rear Window. It's got that to it as well. And I don't know, that's kind of exciting to me. So that's just a couple of things I wanted to point out. Um, I think the score in this is really neat. It's, It's playful, but also haunting. There's an underlying tone, like... Josh, you were describing the opening scene, and I love how many horror films open very innocent and idyllic like that. It's very idyllic, and it seems like it's like the perfect little neighborhood, the little girl on the tricycle. But then under that musical theme on the score, you can hear 
an undercurrent that's a little bit uneasy. And what's interesting is they actually reflect that in the dialogue in a lot of this movie. Like, for example, when the parents, who are almost strictly comedic characters, they're backing out of the driveway at the beginning of the film. And at one point, like, um, one of them says, where's DJ? And the dad says to the mom, you would be so happy if he was under the car, wouldn't you? (laughs) And and I was like, I had missed that. I saw this movie so many times. And, like, there are little weird lines in there like that. And I'm like, that is so weird that they said something like that. So, the heart attack scene as well. That's pretty creepy. I, I assume it's a heart attack that he has. Um, when he's like yelling at DJ and Nevercracker kind of just, you know, falls on top of him. And then that kid thinks that he killed the guy. I mean, that's pretty amazing too. And I'm um, sorry to keep rambling, but I'm almost done. Like this, this also has that premature celebration where the monster's not dead. Cause as we all know, the monster's never dead the first time. And like so many movies, when the monster gets back up, and the monster's all jacked up and looks scarier because th- there's a lot of like damage done to the monster. The house itself it is in that state where where it, yeah. it it assembles again and it looks even scarier because it's been totally jacked. I think that's amazing as well. There is a scene that I think is genuinely creepy, even to me as an adult, and that's when we see where Constance has fallen down. And um, she was covered in the cement tomb. And and not only do they find her there, and when they first show that, it's a little unsettling. But then DJ, I think, falls on top of her and breaks it, breaks the cement. <laughs> and then we see her bones, so he actually exposes her remains. Now, guys, <laughs> that's, that's some serious business there. Yeah. And, and the concept, the theme of being trapped in your own home... Like it, like where it's supposed to be your safe place, and the Nevercracker character is kind of a prisoner, and he's just trying to keep her at bay and protect the children of the neighborhood. So that's fantastic. I, I feel like this film did receive some of the praise it deserved. I mean, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film at the 79th Academy Awards, but it lost to Happy Feet. That blasted George Miller. No, insane. Yeah, (laughs) I think that film. Just side note, I think that film is terrible. Screw Happy Feet. Sorry, Um, I'm I'm totally with you, and I actually remember being really upset that this lost when that happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. So, so um, I'll change what I said to heck with Happy Feet. Um, (laughs) so, and in, and in 2008, the American Film Institute, AFI, they nominated this film to be among its top 10 animated films lists. So, um, anyways, guys, for me, this seriously is a 10 out of 10. Um, and for what it is like a children's horror movie, animated horror movie, I think it's a masterpiece. No kidding. I say buy it. I say watch it every Halloween. It's set on October 30th and 31st. I think people should should totally check that out. Um, here's a little trivia about the screenwriter, Dan, Dan Harmon. He was one of the writers on it. According to IMDb, he was unhappy with the final product because he claimed that the director, Gil Kennan and Steven Spielberg, made the movie scarier than what he intended oh, 
Yeah, and it and it really ticked him off that they had Constance's soul taking over the house and attacking wow. people, and um, and I guess he had a, a a friend or somebody that was scared. Their kid was scared by it, and um, so he talked a lot of smack on it. It sounded a little bit like sour grapes to me, but I'm just saying. Um, this movie is uh, just fantastic. It's got some nods in it to Stephen King's work, so that's great. And I guess John Heater, um, I don't. I guess he broke his leg the first day on set. I wonder how you do that. <laughs> in funny. A, he didn't mention that when you're reading for an animated film. Um, but well, they were in, you know, they were in those little suits covered with motion balls and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And for those who live in Wisconsin. You know, this city here that this is set in is called Mayville, and it's um, based on the hometown of Mayville, Wisconsin, which one of the screenwriters lived there. And it's got a PG rating. Some people think it should have been stronger rating than that, but man, 10 out of 10. So any other final comments on that? I'm sorry that I talked forever on Oh, it's fine. I mean, Dan Harmon um, is supposed to be, I mean, allegedly... Is supposed to be kind of a jerk, is so sounds I mean, like it. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> but um, he was the creator of Community, the television show, hmm. and I've just heard really bad things about him as a person. I mean, I know people really like him who are fans of the show because they really respect that show. Um, for like the zombie episode, for instance, is a much beloved episode of Community where they would take right. different film genres and uh, incorporate them into the show, but um. Yeah, I've heard just not great things about him from within the industry. <laughs> well, anybody who allegedly calls Steven Spielberg a moron is, um, you know, really, really playing it risky in the business, yeah. <laughs> I would say. Very but. true. <laughs> um, I, I, if you don't mind, I will rate and recommend this show as well. Please do, please. This is a, a film I really like. I, I'm going to go lower on my rating. I'm going to give it an 8.5. But I I absolutely love it, and it's a buy for me, and it's one that I watch probably every other year. So okay, well, great. Eight point five. Josh says buy it. I say ten. Buy it. And uh, Doctor Shock, I know you haven't seen it in a while, but um, at least are you going to be revisiting this and reviewing it for your blog? <laughs> at at some point, I I have so many other movies lined up. I will definitely try to make it though. Okay. I still owe you a review of Observe and Report. Yes, sir. Yes, you do. I, re- I recall that now. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to that. So let's move into Dr. Shock's feature review of the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Ichabod Crane, daring, reckless, losing his heart to Katrina the cutie, yeah! and his head when pursued by the hair-raising headless horseman. <laughs> Right. Now, this is actually two short films in one, and it came out, I want to say it was from um, 19, I think it's the late 40s. 49. Yes, 1949. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And what it is, it's, it's two different stories. And in the one, you get the Washington Irving classic tale of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Now, that's that's the one, the second one. You also get um, the, wind, the Wind in the Willows, uh, a telling of that. Right. Interestingly enough, the wind in the willows. There are two narrators. You have uh, Basil Rathbone and Bing Crosby. Yeah. Oddly enough, Basil Rathbone is narrating the wind in the willows. You know the the Mr. Toad story, and it's Bing Crosby. 
who's narrating um, Ichabod Crane. Yeah, that's funny. That's awesome. It's, it's a little, you know, I would have thought it would have been reversed, but it was not. Um, okay, so just setting up, um, you know, the the I'm going to just really sort of center on Ichabod in this one. Um, again, it's narrated by Bing Crosby, and there's a few songs that he, you know, sings along the way as well. Ichabod Crane, this teacher, goes into the small New England town of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, he's, you know, there to be the new schoolmaster. And shortly after he arrives, he meets, uh, you know, Katrina Von Tassel, the daughter of a rich landowner, um, and he falls in love with her. But uh, the, the, the uh, Brom Bones, who's a local bully, uh, also has, a, you know, has his eye on Katrina. And they have a Halloween party thrown by the Van Tassels. And Bones tries to, um, you know, scare uh, Ichabod by telling him about the Headless Horseman, you know, the ghost of a soldier that rises from the grave every Halloween uh, looking for a new head. Well, after the party is, uh, you know, Ichabod, he's a little bit superstitious. He's on his way home, so he's a little bit nervous. Uh, but he has an encounter with the horseman um, who uh, chases uh, Ichabod into the dark woods of Sleepy Hollow. Um, this movie, it's, it's interesting. Watching it again, um, the, uh, the, uh, the Ichabod Grain, Crane tale uh, portion of this uh, anthology. For me, it was it was good. It wasn't great. I actually, like I said, I did like the Wind in the Willows uh, ver- portion a little bit better as far as like a movie. But what this um, the, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow segment has is a very intense final few minutes. Mm-hmm. That chase through the woods and I saw this as a kid it scared me I mean it it literally scared me and even watching it now you feel the tension from it you know yeah. it's just so well done that that ending of this um I I wasn't as much of a fan like when they were at the party and you had the singing and um but, you know I know that there's a song that Ben Crosby sings at that point as if it was brown bones and um I didn't care for that, but that last portion is, it makes the whole thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen this in forever, a long time, but I've always loved this. I'm pretty sure that my memory of it is probably somewhat nostalgia-based. I think it's definitely worth checking out. I'd say like maybe seven, seven and a half if you stick in there, like I said, the Mr. Toad, which is the first segment, is good. And they do cut it down a bit. I mean, they sort of jump all over the place with that story, too. But definitely, you know, the Ichabod Crane tale is worth seeing. Even if it's not great, it ends. It just ends perfectly. I see you can stream it on Amazon for three bucks. So is that something you'd oh, recommend? Nice. I, I do. I, I recommend people check this out. Me too. Me too. What do you say, Wolfman? Um, this one is one of those that I was always excited to see each year. I will say, as an adult, when I revisited it, I had a little less patience for it. I mean, I do show it to my kids mm-hmm. still, but it's rare that I'm going to sit in there and watch the entire thing, if I'm honest. Oh, wow. Like, I, I think the Headless Horseman segment is dynamite, but it does take a while to get to that. Yeah. For my, for me, um, the, I could do without the big song introduction and all that stuff so uh you know i mean it is what it is it's a kids disney show so it's is um you know if i was to rate it on its own scale it's probably very successful 
but you know, when I rated Monster House an 8.5, I'm saying that's out of cinema. And so if I'm going to say that, for me uh, with this, I mean, it's probably more in the six range for me, mm. but you know, for kids, I think it's definitely one worth um, indoctrinating them with. And it's one, it's an early scare for me as well. I definitely remember being scared of this headless horseman when I was little. So mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a good one. Well, even if you look at the cover, if people out there have never seen this movie and you look at it, you know, Ich- Ichabod Crane, I mean, that character He's drawn very silly. You know, he's got the big ears and he's kind of dopey looking. But the Headless Horseman, (laughs) you know, that artistic depiction is just absolute money. I mean, solid and scary. Monster. True monster. Yeah. And this was enough to for me to fall in love with the idea of the Headless Horseman for the rest of my life, too. I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Sleepy Hollow, the Tim Burton film. Um, there were a lot of things I did like about it, but it, it's kind of like I'm always waiting for a great adaptation of the story. I even remember there's a murder she wrote that kind of does this story, but um, I just love this legend. So it's a fun thing to explore. I guess I I think when I revisited as an adult, the the Swordsman portion was a lot more compressed than I had remembered it being as a kid. So I guess that was just a letdown for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I bet you that's how I'm remembering it is, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they did eventually yeah. split this up. Um, they did eventually take these two movies and split them up and show them on television separately. So it's very possible. People will remember the, the headless horseman segment and have no memory of Mr. Toad, uh, because they were not always together. They mm-hmm. were on first release, uh, but then when it, when television rolled around, they said, okay, let's split these up and we'll put them on, you know, we'll just show them separately on TV. All right, Dr. Shock, anything else you want to say about that movie before we move on? No, I think that's, I think that about wraps it up. All right. Thanks for covering that one. And now let's move into Wolfman Josh's feature review of Haunted Honeymoon. It should have been the happiest moment of their lives. The night they came home to be married at the house of great aunt Kate. But it turned into a haunted honeymoon. Okay, well, Haunted Honeymoon is a 1986 film directed, written, and starring Gene Wilder. And I wanted to review this film for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of the movies I would have normally reviewed in this spot, um, I've just talked about recently, or we've talked about recently on mm. other episodes or in other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Monster Squad was probably my go-to for this episode. Yeah, but, um, I had just done it on Movie Streamcast, and I actually want to recommend to our listeners to listen to that episode because it's really funny. I review it with my five-year-old, and <laughs> if you're talking about you know kids' horror movies, it's really funny to hear his take on it. He does a great job, and um, and so I'd recommend that. And a lot of the other ones we just have talked about, like Poltergeist and Gremlins and stuff. So with the recent passing of Gene Wilder which is a a huge tragedy, a huge loss. I mean, he hasn't been acting a lot in many, many years, but his uh, performances, he has so many iconic performances and some that touch the horror community. I thought it would be great to revisit one of his films. And the obvious one was probably Young Frankenstein. So I decided to go the other direction and talk about Haunted Honeymoon. Um, (laughs) We we, we talked about Young Frankenstein quite a bit on our comedy episode, I think, as well, and and a little bit on our Frankenstein versus episode. So 
this one gets less attention and it's directed by Gene Wilder. And so I thought that might be kind of fun. I love it. I love the way you think. And this is rated PG. So this is, uh, so you feel like this is a good one for kids. Absolutely. This is one I grew up on uh, for sure. This was a, a big one for me as a child. Uh, again, because I love werewolves, and this has a werewolf at the heart of it. Um, you know, the original werewolf family is Talbot, which I'm related to, actually, through my grandmother's side. <laughs> I love that. Nice. But here they changed the name to Abbott, which I'm fine with. And uh, Jim Wilder plays Larry Abbott, and he's a guy who does one of these radio, mystery radio shows. The show is called Manhattan Mystery Theater. And he, you know, it's, it's one of these shows where, um, they do a radio play and, you know, there's the sound effects guy and they're doing spooky voices and they're, and they're telling a story on the radio as they used to do. And he plays, um, the star of one of those shows, Larry Abbott and Gilda Radner, who plays his wife in, in the movie is also his co-star on the show, Vicky Pearl. And he proposes to her in one of the opening scenes of the film, and he's going to take her home to meet his family. And so they go back to the family mansion where he meets a number of other interesting characters. His aunt Kate played by Dom DeLuise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His brother, Charles played by Jonathan price. And just another, just a bunch of great, character actors in here um, who do a great job. And the basic setup of the show is similar to something like Let's Scare Jessica to Death or uh, another film that was released this very same year, April Fool's Day. And essentially what you have is Larry's family um, wants to help him overcome this childhood trauma of his mother dying on her wedding day. So his mother... Um, he witnessed his mother's wedding and there's this giant storm and the windows break and young Larry sees his mother get killed um, either from the lightning or the glass or something awful happens at um, in this chapel and it scars him for life. And so he's scared to get married and the idea is they're going to scare him so much that they're going to scare it out of him. And so he's at, at home in the spooky old mansion that looks like has to be the place they used for the haunting or for Clue and, and all these types of movies. It's, <laughs> it's that type of mansion. Mm. And um, they set about trying to scare him, and they create all these horror scenarios to try to spook him. What they don't know is that there's also someone trying to murder his Aunt Kate to get the family inheritance. And the person trying to murder her, it appears to the audience and to Larry, is a werewolf. And... Um, you know, as we go on, we learn more and more about this character. So there's an actual murder plot involving a werewolf going on in the background of this kind of faux, you know, let's scare Larry Abbott to death storyline that's going on with the family. <laughs> Neat. And it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's silly. It's goofy. There are musical numbers. Um, one of the musical numbers is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, in, it takes place in a wine cellar. Very brief. But uh, now, when you when you say the funniest thing you've ever seen, were you being literal there? Serious? Like if you talk about slapstick comedy, it's it's totally dumb and goofy. But I laugh so hard every time I see it. My (laughs) kids laugh so hard every time they see it. Um, It's so funny. I mean, I defy anybody to watch it with an open mind and not laugh their heads off. It's so good. And I, you know, I like 
several of Mel Brooks films, but I'm not a huge Mel Brooks fan per se. Um, this is a little bit more my speed. I, I am a big Gene Wilder fan. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's the basics of haunted honeymoon. It's not a great film. It's got a lot of weird elements to it. Um, I probably would give it a seven or so as a film, but it's definitely watchable. If you like something like young Frankenstein, it's kind of in that wheelhouse of other movies. I really love like clue, which I give a 10 or without a clue, which I give like a nine. <laughs> this is, this is kind of in that wheelhouse of films and it's a good one. You know, I thought because it has like these monstrous elements to it and yeah. kind of a classic horror story. So, so what age, like, um, would you show this to like five-year-old? For yeah. Example? Now yeah. I've just mentioned on the show that I recently showed my five-year-old attack the block. So, yeah, I was going to say. I'm becoming more and more lenient with him, but it's just because he really is showing a lot of bravery and interest in these types of movies. Embracing um, he's on, He's seen two rated R movies as a little kid. He's seen The Lost Boys and Attack the Block. I do cover his eyes and ears at, at moments throughout. Attack the Block's language was enough that if his mom knew that he had seen it, I would not be in good standing. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Understood. He, the accents are strong enough and he just does not know those words that I don't think he picked up on it. So, um, I was probably, that was probably a miscalculation on my part and I take full responsibility for that. <laughs> and you, and you <laughs> but, just confessed on this yeah. Uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah. But you know, for the most part, you know, he, he doesn't watch super scary stuff other than those two R rated films. He's only mostly seen PG movies and he's seen a couple PG 13 movies and, I've started them on all of the Hitchcocks and the and the classic Universal monsters, and so this is enough that like he can watch. He likes Abbott and Costello, meet the Mummy and Frankenstein, and all those. And this is something kind of in that area that he can enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he likes the Monster Squad a great deal. This is kind of this is not similar uh, tonally to that, but in terms of scares, it's you know kind of around that area. So right, definitely something he can handle. Okay. Well, what about you, Dr. Shark? Do you have any comments about Haunted Honeymoon? Did you? I have actually not seen this movie. Yeah, I don't remember it either. I've heard Josh talk about it before. It seems mm-hmm. familiar to me, but I don't really remember seeing it. So. You know, it's a little I silly. I mean, I, I will warn you guys, it's it's pretty silly. Well, well I, I've kind of used I've seen Gene, like Gene Wilder, some of his other movies. Like, I know I saw um, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, smarter yes. brother was it it's very um, similar to that in terms of okay okay and it's i not, did enjoy it's not that quite blazing saddles le- level of silliness <laughs> gotcha okay but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah i mean it's you know i mean yeah even young frankenstein like you kind of know what to expect uh-huh. Uh-huh. All, right. all right so josh says haunted honeymoon from 1986 is a seven out of ten and it sounds like you'd call it a rental right josh I mean, yeah, for most people, at least check it out as a rental. Um, I, I own it, and I it's been one of my favorite movies since I was a little kid. So, But, yeah, I mean, give it a rental <laughs> the first time. It's grandfathered in with you. Okay. Exactly. All right. So now, moving on, what we were going to do, we were going to kind of go down through. I had this. I asked the guys if they would mind this. I think it might be helpful to kind of present a list of movies or just name drop some movies that we think might be um, good starter films for like the youngest age or like we were working on 
clever titles. You guys might have better titles, but I, I came up with Tiny Terrors for the Tenderly Timid. Some alliteration <laughs> there for your set. And um, and for me, this would be like, at least the things I'm going to say right here are like from for ages like three to six. I mean, in my experience, two-year-olds don't really comprehend what they're seeing that well. So if I'm going to say an age like three to six for this, I guess. And, and to kick this off, I was just going to start with this. I think Josh said something really brilliant at the beginning of the podcast, and it actually works. Josh described how he likes to endear his kids to monsters, getting them familiar with monsters by having them watch Monsters, Inc. and talking about, you know, how cool they are and stuff. And I think Sesame Street actually did a really brilliant thing with that where they yeah. took monsters and made them cuddly and friendly. I mean, you've had Cookie Monster, Elmo is a monster, that's what they call him. Yeah. Grover is a monster. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's interesting to have the monsters be cuddly. And that's the same thing yeah. that happened there in uh, Monsters, Inc. as well with Sully and stuff. So, Dude, so- I have totally manipulated my children with that several times. Like when they talk about, have talked about being scared. This was years ago. But I remember saying like, so what's your favorite monster? And they kind of like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, I like Grover. And I like Cookie Monster, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I like monsters. I've done, totally done that before. And you're like, I like Barlow from Salem's Lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but no, um, so guys, it just some list, and a lot of these things that we kind of chime in on here are going to be repeats and stuff. But we are, I think for kids this age, the kids that are that young, You'd be looking at a lot of the animated stuff. Um, I think Coraline is genuinely creepy, um, and I think it's I think it's good. Uh, actually, I think it's a great movie. Um, we already talked about the Charlie Brown um, special and Bugs Bunny, and there's Corpse Bride, Frank and Weenie, A Night Before Christmas. Josh mentioned Paranorman, Hotel Transylvania, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, what did I say? Night before Christmas. Yeah, a nightmare before Christmas. Thank uh-huh. you. Um, Hotel Transylvania one and two. Another one I would say, which I thought was pretty freaky to me. It's it's not really a horror film per se, but it kind of freaked me out as a kid. Was the Dark Crystal? You guys remember that one? Oh yeah, terrifyingly disturbing to me. Yeah, <laughs> and Labyrinth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so I mean, the creatures, the puppets, and uh, or the Muppets, as it were, and the Dark Crystal are even even as I look at these pictures now, I, that must have done something in my brain in 1982 because as I look at the pictures of these, and and even their silhouettes on the art cover, like on the oh, artwork, yeah. you see the silhouettes of their long proboscis, which is nose. and and you see the silhouettes there and it's like okay this is kind of freaky and imdb has it pegged as an animated family adventure but um you know i think this freaked out a lot of kids and it freaked me out so the dark crystal might be a place to start but here here is my golden recommendation you guys there is something called grizzly tales for gruesome kids have you guys, are you guys familiar with this? No. This is gold right now. Get on Amazon. Here's why I'm telling you to do this. Um, it's based on a series of books, okay, by Jamie Ricks. And then they made it into a TV series. It's like a, a British thing. I found it at my local library. The series, it's an animated series. It's narrated by Nigel Planer. 
and animated by Sarah and Simon Bohr. They did uh, Wolves, Witches, and Giants, which is pretty famous. Anyway, this was consistently one of the highest rated children's animated shows on the ITV network in the UK. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And it was awarded Best Children's Program. So there are lots of accolades here I'm not going to bore you all with. But basically, it's a collection of morality tales that are kind of set in horror story situations where kids get gruesome punishments throughout because they're the kids are awful. They're naughty or horrible children. And so they have to learn a hard lesson the hard way. And so it, it basically focuses on frightening your children into believing and obeying the parents. And so <laughs> we, we parents can all get behind that. And, and, and here's what I'm going to do. That's so, so you guys aren't blind buying. I mean, I don't love the animated style of it, but I'm telling you it's worth buying just for Nigel Planer's narration. But if you go on YouTube, I'll link it in the show notes for this episode. Um, they have one of my favorite ones on there. It's called Grandmother's Footsteps. <laughs> and, and watch that on YouTube and you will be sold and convinced. Because I'm telling you, I, I really believe this. I think some of these cartoons, they're just little short films, they could be adapted into like genuine horror movie material. My son loves the macabre. He he loves these, and and they absolutely blew me away. So that's called Grizzly Tales for gruesome kids. I'd check it out. And I'm one la- hard time finding that man. Oh, like the, the the episodes are streaming. It looks like. Yeah, you can you can find some of them. But streaming yeah, DVD is hard to find. There's a. Uh-huh. Mm. It looks like there's a couple like one episode DVDs. Like there's one called A Tangled Web. One called Dr. Morinbundus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that one. But they're not but they're not like the full seasons, I don't think. Like at least not in the US. Yeah. They look like they're region two or something. Well I'll, I'm gonna find these though. You totally piqued my curiosity. <laughs> okay. Yeah, at least watch at least watch Grandmother's Footsteps on, you know, YouTube because I saw it on there. I'll link it. Watch that and then tell me what you think. <laughs> it's so good. And then the last thing I think that is appropriate for like entry level type horror for the youngest of young children, I think the Godzilla movies are all pretty benign and and tame. You know, the you know I'm talking about the Japanese Godzilla movies yeah. where he's in the suit. <laughs> it's well, a guy. My five year old saw the new Godzilla as well. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and that could I mean depending on your kid's sensibilities and. You know, something like arachnophobia as well. So if you're moving from animated into like live action type stuff. I think stuff, arachnophobia is too scary for a six-year-old. Really? A spot, really? Interesting. I haven't I seen mean, it I in a long time. I find that movie terrifying. Like that, to me, that's like a teenager movie. <laughs> Are you afraid of spiders? Yeah. I, I'm not as a, much as I was when I first saw that movie. I probably saw that movie, I don't know, fifth grade, I guess. Okay, yeah, I, I haven't revisited it in a long time, but... But that I, still scared me through, like, we would watch that in high school with my friends and scared everybody. They need to make a genuinely scary arachnophobia, like a, like a new one, is that what I'm saying. It's pretty scary. I mean, it's <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense, I don't think, but... Okay. It's pretty scary, dude. You should give it another shot. Watch, if you think your kids can handle it, watch it with your kids. They will be jumping out of there. All right. That's what I'll do then. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. 
Okay, so do you guys have any any others that you'd like to just shout out there for this this age range? Yeah, for me, it's introducing them to horror concepts and horror characters. You know, so um, like we've talked about, so sometimes it can be thematic, sometimes it can be actual monsters, and yeah, we've name checked a lot of these. But for my my kids, um, I've been really active in showing them black and white stuff because I know. If you wait too long, then they just think, oh, that looks old, and they don't, never want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just saw that happen with my peers when I was a kid, and I never had an issue with it because I just started so young. And so I've been really like trying to get them to watch like Buster Keaton and stuff like that from a very, very young age. Um, and part of that is showing them the Universal Monsters. And so um, Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon, I think is one of the best mm-hmm. to show a kid. It's yes. a great, um, scary kids movie. Um, I mentioned Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's one of my all time favorites. And Thing from Another World is pretty good. The Abbott Costello Meet which the Monsters. Which year Body Snatchers? It's 56, 56. Isn't it? Yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, I love the Abbott and Costello movies for my kids. Like we, I, I personally am a big fan of the mummy. I know not everybody is, but um, obviously Frankenstein and um, I, and I mentioned, I really like Don Knotts. Like the ghost of Mr. Chicken is a really fun movie. <laughs> um, Private eyes. I liked more as a kid. It really did not hold up for me on the last viewing. Uh, I feel the same way about that one. I loved it when I first saw it in the theater and then it, yeah, sort of fell apart a bit. But I think kids could could like it. Ghost Breakers is one that I've been um, dying to see ever since Dave reviewed it recently. Mm. Um, oh, that's Bob on my Hope. list. Bob, yes, the Bob Hope movie. Yes, definitely. But I also say um, Hitchcock because they're not too grooming. Obviously, Psycho is pretty gruesome. Uh huh. And you know, I'm not going to show them Frenzy or anything, but I think you can show <laughs> kids Rope and Rear Window. And those can be pretty effective scary movies, especially Rear Window. So, boy, so Rear Window in this young age, six or younger, you you'd put your Rear Window there because I have it, but I have it a little bit older. I mean, from I don't know. I mean, it's tricky. I guess maybe it's the next year, the next step older. But I mean, yeah, it probably is older than six. I I don't know. It's tricky because to me, the cut the age range is more like. Two to four, because I think five and six, at least with my kids, I started to be able to tell whether or not they were into it. <laughs> and my and my daughter was not into it. And my son is. And, you know, and that was I could tell by five years old. I think six is starting to push it to where I'm ready to go to kind of the next level. Right. Right. Three year old. Yeah. I wouldn't show a three year old rear window. Yeah. True. True. Okay. But yeah, I really like these Gene Wilder movies. Um, Without a Clue is like a fun Sherlock Holmes movie that I really like. I don't know if you guys ever seen that. It's Michael Caine and uh, Ben Kingsley. I don't think I have. It's really fun. So Ben Kingsley is Watson and uh, Michael Caine is Sherlock Holmes, but their kind of roles are reversed where in this movie, um, Ben Kingsley as Watson is the crime doctor. And Sherlock Holmes is kind of this idiot, but he is the public face of their company. And so to the public, Sherlock Holmes is still everything we've always thought of Sherlock Holmes being. But really, Ben Kingsley as Watson, the crime doctor, is the one who's solving all the mysteries. (laughs) And he's just trying to take care of this drunken, loud womanizer that he hangs out with. (laughs) Neat. Uh And it's just a fun setup. There's some good child 
level scares in there. And then my really my two favorite movies, close to two of my favorite movies of all time, are The Burbs and Clue. I just think those are so much fun. Yes, and and good for that age. Hmm. Excellent. Okay, what about you, Doctor Shock? In that youngest tier. Now, you know what? I, this whole thing was a little tough for me because, like I said, I don't really have, a, I guess, a point of reference for it, only because I kind of just launched into them at a young age, like into the more severe horror movies. So trying to think of ones that might be geared more towards, you know, the younger set, it's not a little. I mean, I might go back to some of the older movies, too. Mm-hmm. The ones I think that can, you know, can be handled like the um, the, the Universal movies would be great. Yeah, and, and, and just sort of forward from there. Yeah, it's it's difficult. This is this was a sort of a difficult challenge for me, this segment of the show. Okay. Let, let me back you up then because I have a couple more thoughts. All right. Okay. I mean, I think – I just wanted to comment on some of the ones Jay mentioned because I think Coraline is actually a supremely creepy and imaginative movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's a little – in some ways kind of disturbing for kids. Um, oh, yeah. Like I think Paranorman is more fun and more watchable, but it's made by the same people. Mm-hmm. And to me right. that has more of a fun flair to it. And similarly with the Tim Burton uh, – Henry – is it Henry Selleck? movies i think like um i think the corpse's bride and nightmare before christmas aren't really great kids movies in my opinion but i think frank and weenie is kind of the more fun more accessible (laughs) version of that i think frank and weenie is super sad that thing is filled with pathos (laughs) i mean yeah but it's that's i mean that's i don't to me that really works for the kids and it's not quite as like nightmarish you know what i mean right right yeah, and then those Hotel Transylvania movies, I think, are uh, are interesting. Um, Alvin and the Chipmunks Meet the Wolfman is one my kids really like. Mm-hmm. And right. then I don't know if you've seen um, one that um, Kill Bill Kill, a.k.a. Rowan the Destroyer, always <laughs> talks about, is he really likes um, the Curious George Halloween episode. Oh, yeah, oh. I've heard him say that. And he shows that to his kids, and he watches it a lot. He really enjoys that. Wow. <laughs> Nice. And then, and then the last one. I don't know if this is if you're thinking this is for older kids. My kids have seen this and like it a lot. Is Goose the new Goosebumps movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had it later on the list, but yeah, well, I could see that working for young kids. Yeah, because it, it's pretty benign. Really. And again, I think it's more fun and accessible than the Goosebumps series, which I think is pro- probably more disturbing and for older kids. Yeah, agreed. I the series is more uncanny and just kind of messes up, messes with your head. <laughs> I totally agree. And um, so for this next age range, you know, and these are all proximates and nobody quote us on these. I I think, Josh, you came up with the title Elementary School Sleepovers. (laughs) I I like that. So I kind of put this, this is approximately 7 to 11 or something like that. So this is where I ended up putting the Universal Monster movies. And and part of that is because, not because of the scariness, but just because of kids' ability to pay attention and, and you know, I guess understand what's going on. But um, Monster House is where I put in this range. The Blob. You know, The Blob yeah. movies were seriously some of my very first horror movie experiences ever. And I'm talking 1958 as well as, um, and then later in my life, 1988 blob but yeah the 1958 blob i watched that really young as well as the fly from 1958 which you mentioned the original i remember the ending of that the big reveal 
<clears throat> freaked me out. It like it messed with my mind, and it's really funny to think back to it now, because I'm sure that that effect oh. is super cheesy. Even even <laughs> as I recall it in my mind, my adult mind can see it, and I'm like, yep, that's cheesy, but still. Um, you, we already said the thing from another world, and it came from outer space. I think really any of those those 1950s and, you know, that era sci-fi horror. We already talked to Abbott and Costello to death. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is uh-huh. is not a good movie, but um, <laughs> my son enjoys that. And uh, uh, the same night... I love that you showed your son that movie. That's so funny. Of course. That is funny. <laughs> you know me, Josh. Um, the other thing that I've uh, shown him was... Empire of the Ants. Oh, from 19, Empire of the Ants. Nineteen seventy-seven. That's where you get these giant freaking ants killing people, and yes. my son loved that movie. It's hilarious. Interesting. <clears throat> I, I I remember that movie. He never really saw a close-up of the ants because you could tell it was. I don't know if it was people in suits or just these things on a stick, but they only just sort of shot them into frame every now and again. You didn't get a close look at like the actual close-up of the of the ants. Ooh. Well, that's weird you said because actually, um, I I thought it was fairly well done because I, it seemed like they had real ants and they just shot close. Oh, they up. did. They y- did y- that. You know what I'm, I mean? I'm talking like I, they did use real ants and put them in like on like walking on the boat and and things like that. Right. I'm talking more specifically about the um, uh, when when they were in the woods and then these characters were surrounded by them. They get close-ups of those ants, and you don't really see them. Yeah. Like, they, they just do it real quick, because I guess they just didn't look that good. They kind of handle it like the um, the giant mutant rabbits in Night of the Lepus, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of handle it like that. Where yes. They, that's pretty and it, funny. And I also remember that these people are, like, walk, going around in this tram car, and they're basically go, going from one meal to another. I mean, they just got done this huge meal. They jump in a tram car, then they go to another table where there's another meal waiting for them. I'm talking like 20 minutes later or something like that. Yeah. I remember thinking, why is everyone eating so much? <laughs> well, here, here's one for you. Um, this one I actually really enjoy. I think this is worth looking up if people haven't seen this. It's from 1959. It's called The Killer Shrews. And it stars James yes. Best. Roscoe mm-hmm. P. Coltrane is in this as a young, young man. And man, this movie is hilarious. I mean, it's black and white. It's not good. It's like a, it's not even a B movie. It's like a D movie or something, but I don't care. That's a fun one. Um, it's, we, it's fun, but yes, it's not good, <laughs> but it is it is fun. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. The, the, the killer shrews look pretty serious. Um, and then you got, we already talked about Hocus Pocus and Goosebumps. It would be in this age range for me as well as the, the movie. Um, we already mentioned all these, like Lady in White, Something This Way, Wicked This Way Comes, The Witches, Beetlejuice, guys. Beetlejuice, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah anyway. Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands is great for this range. Absolutely. And we talked about Ghostbusters and uh, Gremlins I'd put in here. Critters, maybe. Yeah. Uh, my mind is pretty foggy on that. It's been a long time. But um, my favorite, <clears throat> one of my favorites for this age range would be Killer Clowns from Outer Space, 1988. Nice. Man, I love that movie. And kids that age will love it, too. What What do you say, Wolfman Josh? I mean, you hit on a lot of the ones I would say. I, I saw a lot of those movies earlier, like Ghostbusters and 
and the burbs, but those are great sleepover movies for me mm-hmm. at that age range. Um, you mentioned Squad. Lady in White. The Gate, did we, we talk about that yet? Oh, no, not yet. No, I had that down here. I had that down to talk about, yep. That's another great one from that yep. era. From 87, um, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, it's kind of in there with Poltergeist and, and the Monster Squad. The Monster Squad being one of the prime films to check out, I think, at this age range. It's, it's the perfect sleepover movie with a bunch of young boys. Right. Yes. Um, they'll have a blast watching it. And... Um, Poltergeist, I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, for you know, for new movies, I think that new Goosebumps would would also fit well into this era mm-hmm. or into this uh, age range as well. Mm-hmm. Those are the big ones, I guess. I mean, we've talked about most of them. I think this might be a good time if they're brave enough to start them on stuff like M Night Shyamalan films. I think that oh. I, th- I think you could wait till high school, but I think this is. Do you mean like Signs and The Village? And I mean, I don't love Signs personally, but yeah, I mean, for me, The Sixth Sense and The Visit and The Village, those would be great movies to watch for me. When I like, to me, this era of sleeping over at people's houses in elementary school is where I was introduced to the stuff that really disturbed me oh. <laughs> that my mom didn't know I was watching. That you know the older <laughs> brothers would bring in movies that we weren't supposed to be watching. Yes, they probably had a nudie magazine around as well, um, <laughs> and so this—that's when I was getting all the worst influences, you know, coming at me. I think like if your kids are this age and you want to watch a movie with them, maybe this is a good time to watch those new Adams Family movie remakes. Or oh yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Hocus Pocus would be a good one to watch. With your kids, but if they're having a sleepover, definitely they should throw in Gremlins or Gremlins 2 or the Twilight Zone, the movie would be a good one to watch Ooh. at this age. Yeah, that one, oh. that one's actually kind of strong. A little it's bit. freaky, but that to me, that's to me, I'm thinking like fourth, fifth, sixth grade. That's when I was getting into the really messed up stuff. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and I know what you're saying, Josh, because the, the sleepover movie with your friends, it does kind of have to genuinely be scary a little bit. Yeah. In yeah, order for it to be, be super. Yeah, yeah, you got to be freaked out and it's got to be fun. I'm with you. But you know what's weird? This is kind of sad. I, I don't know if this is your experience, but yeah, when I when I was growing up, uh, sleepovers were a big deal. We did it all the time. I'd like stay all night at other people's houses and they'd stay all night yeah. at my house. But now it seems like this day and age, that doesn't happen. And anymore yeah, you have to be more careful these days and um yeah that so what they do in in my neighborhood <laughs> okay is they do they do what they call late nights so um they might invite a bunch of the neighborhood kids over for popcorn and watch a movie but then everyone goes home and sleeps at their own house that's okay. a good idea and i think it's just to prevent obviously like molestation and stuff like that which is right. important to do you know i'm sure a lot of sleepovers ended badly for me it was just breaking the law like we were i was telling my wife this the other day was blowing her mind when i was in fourth grade so a year older than my daughter is now (laughs) me and my friends were filling our backpacks up with toilet paper walking three miles across town toilet papering people's houses and walking home alone like on a highway in the middle of the night in fourth grade. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. It just like blew my mind when I realized, oh, my daughter's turning eight. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. And, the, and kids out doing. there who are listening to horror movie podcasts, don't do that, okay? Absolutely not. <laughs> 
But I was the latchkey kid generation, I think. And uh, we were raised by wolves. We all (laughs) were just doing whatever we wanted to do whenever we wanted to do it. And uh, that's why I relate so much to movies like The Gate and Goonies and Monster Squad, because that's kind of exactly what my childhood was. Man, you just made me so happy talking about that right there. And yeah, I have a lot of stories about that too, misspent youth. But I I guess I'll refrain partly because of how late into my teenage years I went (laughs) and I was still doing that. And since we might have younger listeners listening, I won't give them any ideas. I was telling my wife, like, I'm like, I still did stuff like that in high school, but it was almost ironically like, can you still believe we're still toilet papering when we're way too old for this? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Okay, Dr. Shock, what do you got for this category? Again, I I don't have as many. I I agree with a lot of the ones you guys have been discussing. There's one that I would throw in at this category, and that would probably be something like The Legend of Boggy Creek. And I think what's interesting, and I, you know, we we had talked about this a little bit earlier, is that that movie was rated G when it came out in 1972. (laughs) Right. And I know I've talked with people on Twitter who still contend that that is the most frightening movie they've ever seen because (laughs) of the fact it was rated G. And the last third of that movie is incredibly scary if you're if you are a young kid. If you go to this movie thinking it is a G-rated movie, the last third where this they they have like a reenactment of a creature, the creature attacking a house, uh, or these people like living in the house, it is really really intense. I don't know why that movie was rated G. It just should not have been. It should not have been rated G, and it was a big hit at drive-ins and everything. Yeah, and they were I, scarred. I, I, exactly. I think that happened to me too. Because I tell you what, like just looking at the cover art for that on IMDb, mm-hmm. it still freaks me out. Right now, I'm 40 years old, and the cover art freaks me out. <laughs> oh yeah. I think at this age, at this middle age, I think that the kids can handle it better. But, I mean, there were people taking their five-year-olds, to four or five-year-olds to see Legend of Boggy Creek um, just because it's rated G. And, and it, it uh, yeah, it, it really did scar them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. So that's a good one. Okay, so let's move into the, the, the third and final. Because the way I estimated this, guys, is like, once kids are like 16 and up, they're pretty much brats and cynical and just, you know, they'll take on the adult world film. So my cutoff would be like about 12 to 15 ish. And, um, and so I'm, and, and Josh, we collaborated on this. We called it middle school Halloween parties. <laughs> and, and that's where I had the legend of Boggy Creek listed. Um, Jaws. Right. Um, yeah, now, Jaws is a good one. Now I showed my son. I've he's seen Jaws now for a long time. I just showed my five year old daughter Jaws actually, and I covered their eyes during the you know the super crazy parts. You know, toward the end. Yeah, you know, I can't the, do that. But you can't cover eyes. No, I can't show them Jaws. Mm-hmm. Oh. Why you don't want them to be afraid to go swimming? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I I need I need them to be able to be comfortable at beaches for the next several years. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, the high school is a great time. Yeah, if they want to, then they can worry about it themselves. Yeah, yeah, and and this is this is kind of middle schoolish though, right? Twelve to fifteen because that's like seventh grade to about ninth grade. Which I know ninth grade's high school for some people, but yeah, I got Poltergeist listed here. I've got the birds. I've got Tremors. I've got Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. And then I put in rear window, you know, which is really more of a thriller to prepare 
for you know psycho when they turn 16 all right see i'm i'm all in at that point with rope rear window psycho and the birds i think those are great movies to watch when you're in junior high and um like i had a friend whose mom every year she we would watch the birds at their house like that was her movie that she wanted to indoctrinate us with so once a year you know she'd have her birds party and we'd all have to go sit over there and watch it and some were lo- more enthusiastic about it than others, but yeah. Well, I I revisited that probably in about 2011 ish, 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sorry to say I was a little underwhelmed. Even though it's a siege narrative, I guess I need to analyze it further. But I don't know. Maybe I was in a it's bad. It's not mood. my favorite of his, but I think it would be a good one to talk about if we ever do one animals attack kind of an episode. Oh yeah, certainly. Uh-huh. Uh, Here's one that's really pretty new that a lot of people talk about for like showing to younger people, and that's um, the hole from 2009. I do not like that movie. Yeah, I you know I don't love it either, and I showed it to my wife, and that was a big mistake because um, she got super angry with me because <laughs> the themes of it she didn't she didn't appreciate. Hmm. So you don't. I, I'm a huge Joe Dante fan, as, as we know. Like the right. Burbs, to me, is where it's at. Bruce Dern in the Burbs is so good. Mm-hmm. And so, so the documentary I directed called Claim Flicks premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in 2009, and uh, the whole premiered at Toronto in 2009 as well. So I was really excited to have a movie at the same film festival as Joe Dante and get to meet him and like go see the movie. And I'm in the front row for this first screening of the whole. And I, I had to slink out of there cause I didn't want him to see my face. Cause I was so bummed out by the movie. <laughs> I was just like, what? So, so you didn't see all of it all the way through. No, I did, but I had to leave before the Q and a, because I didn't want it, him to see my disappointment. Oh, okay. I because I was in the front row and I just love him so much, especially the burbs and uh, gremlins and piranha and a lot of other things. But, I don't know. I don't get the love for the whole. The whole has a lot of love, which I'm glad for because I want Joe Dante to have a lot of love, but I don't. <laughs> well, it, it's really hard for me to say how I feel about it because the first time I saw it was when I saw it with my wife and she went ballistic on me at the end because <laughs> I exposed her to it. But honestly, it's fairly mild except for like, you know, so, well, you'll see if you it's watch it. What'd you say? It's too mild, if anything. Well, but she felt really upset about the domestic violence type moments in it. So, um, but anyways, that's my um, 12 to 15 type recommendations. And then I just wanted to tell people once, once they're at the 16 year old, when you're ready to set them free into the horror realm, then what I was like putting out there, I think for initial getting your feet wet films when the it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> you you know that's in there. But no, um I, I actually had down The Woman in Black, you know, with uh uh-huh. Daniel Radcliffe and the Orphanage. Um Ooh, the terrible. The Orphanage is super terrifying, but really there's yeah. not I mean, that's what's weird. It's rated R, but it's rated R for like scary images or something like that. There's not anything particularly explicit. It's just strong. So, anyway, now, would you throw? Would you throw like Devil's Backbone in there as well? <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think I've seen that. Actually, that's that Spanish one, right? Yes, that's the. Guillermo it's also Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I saw. 
but Pan's Labyrinth probably, you know, that's that's uh-huh. free and clear in there, even though it's that's a blend of several different genres. But and that will mess a child up. So don't yeah. Really into the- well, and I'm talking about 16 year olds right now. So right. But anyways, any, you guys have anything else for the middle school age? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, this might be more for. I have a. I, I know I mentioned to you guys, and I guess this would be a good place to bring it up. Is I have this book called Horror Movie Freak. And it's by, uh, is it Don, Don Sumner uh, wrote this. And there's this whole um, series of books. Like, I know they have a sci-fi movie freak and an action movie freak and so forth. And this one, all of them come with a bonus DVD. And, of course, the bonus DVD is Night of the Living Dead because it's, you know, anybody could sell that DVD. But anyway, it, it has a section in here called Beginner Shelf. And it lists some movies that it says, now this is not necessarily children. This is, you know, he's talking about people who have never really gotten into horror and are interested in getting in and getting their feet wet without going full tilt with The Exorcist and, and you know, all of the really intense films. Um, so he, and some of the movies that are in here, I think could be appropriate, you know, could be okay for kids. Some of them, I don't know if I would I would say they're necessarily great for kids. But just to tell you the ones they are here, hold on. Um, the first one is Psycho, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Then he has the Amityville Horror, uh, the original one from the 70s. Um, the Lost Boys. Amityville Horror. Oh, that seems too intense to me. But. Actually, I was thinking the same thing. That I was is thinking a the same slow thing. film, though. So The original one is kind of slow. So if they can stay awake, then maybe. <laughs> right. Um, now, these next two I thought were kind of interesting because I don't know that I would say that either one of these two would be good for kids. He has this, like I said, this is not necessarily kids. This is adults that I think it was geared towards. But again, the beginner shelf, like ones to sort of ease you into horror, is Ginger Snaps and Jeepers Creepers. Whoa. Wow. Those seem too intense to me, too. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. a beginner, that's, that's pretty serious business. They are, mm. especially Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. And then uh, the last one is um, Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I can see that. Language I would be concerned with maybe as a parent, but... Right. Yeah. So, so even 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 for somebody sort of easing in on um, horror films as an adult, some of those are going to be a little intense. I get you. Um, Although I think Shaun of the Dead. I mean, I, I talked about this before. I think that was really the movie that got me into zombie movies, which I'm uh-huh. slightly embarrassed to admit. But like before that, I just I'm not a huge gore hound, and so previous to Shaun of the Dead, I just I I would see the cover of Day of the Dead. Or you know, or Dawn of the Dead, just be kind of turned off by the look of the the mm-hmm. case. Um, you know, I'd seen Night of the Living Dead and and several others. You know, Return of the Living Dead was a big one when I was a kid, but um, it wasn't until Shaun of the Dead where I was really like, "Ooh, I really like zombie movies," and that was kind of my re-entry, which I think was for a lot of people. I like, think it was for a lot, for a lot of people, and it definitely definitely kicked off the zombie comedy craze you know for um mm-hmm. uh, although i like zombie land i gotta say zombie land is a lot of fun oh it's a blast okay yeah. all right so anything else on the uh the middle school age because we can yeah i mean for me i think um 
this is probably where I'd start putting in stuff like the blob. Um, bad seed is one I struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> the bad because I don't like the idea of showing kids a movie where kids are the killers. <laughs> right. Because right. <laughs> I don't want to turn up dead in bed. Yeah, that's not They're a good right. idea. Although I gotta like, say, I think about like Village of the Damned. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Village of the Damned is 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 not a is not a bad one. And what is it? The Innocence, Children of the Corn. The mm-hmm. what's that movie? Um, the Children. Children in yeah. a home movie. Yeah, I, yes. I struggle with recommending those, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've mentioned these earlier probably as well, but I just think those PG thirteen movies is a great. This is a great time to watch you know what lies beneath and the sixth sense and and devil and arachnophobia and all those i think this is a great age for that even maggie something more recent that's probably a good right. age for maggie mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i don't know if matroid was here he would, he would be saying buffy the vampire slayer this might be a good age if they're into that kind of thing to get oh, the yeah. buffy the vampire slayer and that kind of stuff i could see that yeah um, you mentioned Rare Exports, Jay. I think Krampus is a newer one. They could kind of go in that category. Oh, yeah. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. I remember Little Shop of Horrors a lot when I was in this. Oh, uh, Little Shop of Horrors is a fun one. From the <laughs> 80s. Yeah, that's a good movie. Yes. And E.T. is not a horror movie, but it's one that I think for this, not just this age range, obviously, but for this whole conversation is one that... I think kind of still fits, even though it's not necessarily a horror movie or in, in any way. But, but it I'm, does it does have some like horror tone in yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the new movies or for the new series, I think Stranger Things is absolutely one that should be on everyone's list. I think it it's it's a great little set of episodes. I'm looking forward to season two, which has been announced now, and um, I think people should all. Check that out, and it's a great one to watch. And in fact, you know, another new one, I guess, maybe let your kids watch the Scream TV show on MTV. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that I mean, these are things I haven't thought about because my kids aren't old enough yet. But that that might be this might be the right age for that kind of a thing. Maybe as well. Yeah, um, I was thinking about movies that I thought were kind of too intense for this age. That for me personally, but I know a lot of people watch and. For me, that's stuff like The Shining, which you guys have already talked about. Or um, I think these are movies that are just a little too hard, but right on that line of maybe good introduction to horror movies. Jaws, for me, is one of those. Halloween, Salem's Lot, Tremors. I think The Conjuring is one you could show a kid um, at a pretty young age that would be a good introduction to get them into horror. <sighs> that's strong, Josh. The Conjuring yeah. is Conjuring's, Conjuring's a bit. The Conjuring's a bit intense. I remember well, <sighs> I took my son to see World War Z. Yeah, uh, in the theater, That's which a good is one. not. I think that one would work too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, World War Z would would work, um, but they showed a trailer for The Conjuring, and that was a rough two and a half minutes for him <laughs> trying to sit through the the trailer for The Conjuring. He's not a ghost. He's not a ghost fan. I mean, I'm not. You know, the the, the ghost movies are the ones that really get to me. They really get to him as well. And watching the trailer for The Conjuring was really rough for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just mean content wise, it's not. Very, you know, there's not gore. There's not no. You're right. There's not a lot of sex. Uh-huh. I think it's one like um, I was one of the lists I was looking online mentioned. There's actually more cursing in the PG-13 rated Insidious, which I thought was interesting. But I don't know. It's one to consider. Maybe the Purge movies might be okay at this age. 
And cool. Dark Skies was another one I was thinking about. Hmm. Yeah, I could see Dark Skies. Communion, which you already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Actually, one that I, I'd like to throw out there, and I think we touched on it on, in the um, found footage, or if not, I meant to, is, is um, I don't know if you guys ever got a chance to see this alien abduction. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about that. I think that would be maybe a good one at this point. It has some jump scares. It has some creepy scenes, but... You know, I think it's something the kids could probably could probably handle. I'm always recommending that movie. I just really enjoy it. Alien Abduction. Well, yeah. And what was that other one called? Let me see here. It is an Eduardo Sanchez film, and it's the alien one where they altered. Altered would altered, be altered. Yes. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, altered that's really good. That's great. And that'd be good altered for middle really school. Good. Yep. And that's some um, good stuff right there. Okay, guys. So. Why don't we wrap up with our final little segment here, and we're just going to go down through our top five best horror movies for kids. And, and of course, when, when we say best, at least for me, guys, I'm giving you my like favorite picks, my favorite five horror movies that would be for kids. Or Okay? So that's where I'm coming from. Okay. So we can just go around and just trade numbers. And starting with number five, this technically isn't a movie, so I'm sorry about that. But it would be Grizzly Tales for Gruesome Kids. I told you about it earlier. Go watch an episode right now. That's my number five. What do you say, Dr. Shock? Uh, number five, let me see. I would go with, um, uh, actually, the... the uh, again, these are, but the gate. Uh, I had just watched yeah. that again recently, and I think that is one that um, you know it, it has what Stephen Dorff in it. How old was he? Like thirteen or twelve or thirteen when he made that movie? Um, and it it does have some intense moments in it, but I think it's one that um, you know I think a lot of kids could 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 handle that. Mm-hmm. So that would be mine. I'd say the gate. Okay. And what do you say, Wolfman, for your number five? I'm going to say Ghostbusters. Oh, from 1984, I assume. <laughs> yeah, that's uh-huh. what, but yeah, but honestly, the new one, too. My daughter loves it. I uh, At Comic-Con, one of the things I was able to procure were uh, Ghostbusters posters of Kate McKinnon and Melissa McCarthy. I brought those home for my daughter, and she's stoked. So. Oh, nice. What a good dad. All right. Well, my number four would be Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Love it. <laughs> what do you say, Dr. Shock? Um, you know what? I might go with, with Young Frankenstein for number four. Respectable. I just, I just really, I, I mean, I am a Mel Brooks fan. And I've been a Mel Brooks fan since I was, uh, since I was a kid, actually. Uh, and Young Frankenstein is probably right up there with Blazing Saddles as my favorite Mel Brooks film. Um, just the way Marty Feldman is in that movie, he's, it's, he's so off the wall and, 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 and just crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found out uh, not too long ago that that whole thing with the hump changing sides, that was something he himself ad-libbed, uh, <laughs> on the set. Um, he's, he's my, my favorite character in the movie. Gene Wilder is excellent as well. Uh, I think the biggest laugh with Gene Wilder is like, oh, you haven't touched your food. And he just puts his hand all over his food. There, I've touched my food. Yeah. It's a funny movie from start to finish, and it is, it's crazy. But I think that's one mm-hmm. that, uh, that kids could, that kids would like. And it does, it does sort of capture, in, in a lot of ways, it does sort of capture that gothic 
feel in some scenes. Oh, it does. You know, in in the street. And so I just remember when they're when they're walking and the hand sticks out of the cart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, so it, it it at least gives you an idea of the old time Universal pictures. Um, and it 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 touches on a few of them. It's not just um, Frankenstein. It also goes into Son of Frankenstein because it brings in that character played by Kenneth Mars. That, yes. The um, the uh, police inspector who uh, who's missing an arm, so um, that would be mine is Young Frankenstein. Yeah, Josh and I were talking about that earlier. How um, I'll never forget. I showed my son Frankenstein, the original, uh-huh. and he loved it. And he's in the yep. macabre stuff. And then I showed him Young Frankenstein, and he actually thought it was scarier than Frankenstein. <laughs> so that was pretty That's amazing. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, Josh, what's your number four? So I'm going to be straight up. My next three picks are pretty light on the horror, but to me, that's what makes them good introductory films okay. actually. And for me, they work on me. So I know they'll work on this. This is one we haven't mentioned yet, but it's Cary Grant in Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, oh. one of my favorite comedies. I, <laughs> this is one is I watch so every Halloween and yeah. it's kind of creepy. And I think it's a good one to get kids into it because it's really funny and it's one, you know, it's a, I, I also like it because it's a black and white classic film that they can uh-huh. still hopefully get into and have fun with. And um, it works on a lot of levels for me. That's excellent. I love how you pulled out a deep cut right there. So meanwhile, I'm going to be pulling out something that's like, <laughs> you know, very obvious. My number three is Gremlins. Of course. Nice. Yep. Yes. Okay, Dr. Shock, what's your number three? Actually, my number three would be uh, the original Ghostbusters. Nice. You know, with um, uh, that scene in the library is, you know, is scary. Yeah. Uh, and as it gets later on, when they, they you know, are contacting Zool and, and whatnot, it, it gets it does get a little bit intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is mostly a comedy and a very, very funny comedy, thanks in, in large part to Bill Murray. Uh, that was a role originally written for John Belushi, um, but John Belushi had passed, and so Bill Murray had had taken it on. And now you can't imagine, as much as John Belushi, I liked a lot of the things he did, I can't imagine him in that part. Yeah, I, I can't imagine him doing uh, what Bill Murray was able to do in that role. Um, so yeah, that that's my number three. Is is and that it still stands as one of my favorite movie going experiences i saw it with a full house on its opening weekend and it was just so much fun excellent okay great pick and uh what do you say for your number three wolfman um mine would be clue (laughs) and um i think this is one of the first things that was a murder mystery that really uh got me when i was a kid like i I, it's the dialogue is incredible it's one of the most well-written dialogue films ever i think it's got so much energy and you can't you have to attribute a lot of that to the cast because they're just incredible but madeline khan and tim curry and all of these people just at the top of their game i think um just a really really strong cast and um and great script and it's really well directed it takes place in kind of this you know the spooky mansion and it's just a murder mystery but i think it's a great entree into scarier stuff for kids and there are some i watched this with my son and there are some scarier scenes you know Uh cool well i have to revisit that i was totally underestimating clue 
Yeah, I mean, here's a dead serious horror challenge for you. This is something I always like to do. We used to do this in high school all the time. You watch Clue and then play Clue. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yes, that sounds very fun. It was Wolfman Josh. He did it with the candlestick in the library. All right. (laughs) Right. Who did it? Where they did it? And what they did it with? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. So my number two, uh, Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop, our fourth co-host on this show. He would be very pleased. It is Poltergeist from 1982. For whatever reason, a lot of kids saw this. Um, They weren't expecting it to be (laughs) as scary as it is. For a PG film, it is still pretty freaky. Um, I think this messed a lot of kids up. I know I was one of them, so... That's a good one. What do you say for your number two, Dr. Shock? Number two, I think you have to go with Monster Squad from 87. Um, just a, a, a fun uh, a fun movie, but that vampire um, and, and some of the monsters, they, they don't you know hold back, uh, especially the vampire towards the end. They're, they're not holding anything back. I mean, they're like... <laughs> They are monsters in this movie. I mean, the kids are sort of, you're having some fun with the kids and whatnot, but, but, um, no, they don't, the the monsters are strong and, and, um, I think it helps the movie, you know, it, it gives it that sort of Abbott and Costello vibe where Abbott and Costello are making a comedy and Bella Lugosi and, and Lon Chaney and, and, uh, Glenn Strange are making a horror movie. Um, and I think that they keep that sort of tone um, with uh, Monster Squad. Although there's, there's, you know, I think one of my favorite scenes is, you know, the little kids afraid of the monster in the closet. Father opens the door <laughs> and he's saying, see, no monster in the closet. Meanwhile, there's a monster standing in the closet. He just never, he just, you know, that that's just a great scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my number two would be Monster Squad. Okay, you got it. All right, and Wolfman Josh, what's your number two? It's the Burbs. I knew, I knew. This you're... <laughs> is a scary family moves in next door, and uh, unwitting neighbors have to do something about it, and the paranoia of are they killers or aren't they is actually scary, and it's just hilarious as well. Um, I love Joe Dante. This is probably my favorite. This is definitely my favorite movie of his. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Excellent. Yes. All right. We're down to the number ones, everybody. And this is our number one best horror movie for kids. For me, everybody probably already knows it's obvious because this film truly is a horror film. It's from 2006, Monster House, 10 out of 10. I love this movie for kids. It's amazing. Uh, Dr. Shock, what's your number one? My number one was, I think, Jay, your number two, and that's Poltergeist. Um, And it's just because it has such a strong, you know, for me personally, I was one of those kids who saw in the theater and was just completely freaked out by it. Originally, they were giving it an R rating, and Spielberg sort of fought to get a PG, um, (laughs) which just once again, lean, lean, you know, you got to look at the MPAA and say, okay, I guess they, they sort of bow to the major studios, but the independents, you know, get an R rating for brief, strong language in a scene of smoking, you know? Uh, So, but it it is, it is an intense movie. 
um, and had PG-13 been around at the time, it would have absolutely been PG-13. Right. Because um, it, it's, it is, you know, for that time period, not too far off of an R either with some of the, uh, some of the intensity of it. Yes, sir. Poltergeist. Excellent. All right, Wolfman Josh, what is your number one? It's the Monster Squad. <laughs> the yeah. m- m- Monster Squad. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to say monster. that one. <laughs> That's excellent. I'm glad you it's, both had that on your so list. It's so good. I, I yeah. love it. The, my kids also just absolutely love it. My son always talks about the scene with the mummy on the back of the Jeep. He loves saying, <laughs> see you later, Band-Aid breath. And you can <laughs> hear him say that, actually, when if you listen to the movie stream. <laughs> just, it's just the funniest line ever. I you know, thought Rudy was the coolest guy ever. <clears throat> I just like that movie. And um, it's a lot of fun. Stephen King rules. Check out The Monster Squad if you haven't seen it. Aww. Awesome. Okay, there's our top five listeners. Make sure you let us know what you think are great horror movie picks for kids in the show notes for episode 97 here. And guys, we're going to wrap up right now, but do you have any final words on this episode for this? Well, I mean, I I left a couple of honorable mentions off because I I it was hard to make that top five because I was really thinking entry level. I didn't want to get into like the high school age movies because I was, you know, so I, I avoided Gremlins and Poltergeist mostly because I knew how much they totally messed me up as a kid. Um, and then my, uh, my two real honorable mentions for that would be, it would have been Paranorman and Monster House as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All good stuff. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for uh, bearing with us and, you know, tuning in for this little kid, kitty horror movie podcast episode. <laughs> But it was fun. It was a good time. We don't often, you know, get into stuff like this. Um, maybe one of these days we have to do an extreme horror cinema episode for all the people on the opposite side of the spectrum. But for now, that's going to wrap up episode 97 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening. And you can join us again, actually, next weekend in person, which will be September 17th in Indiana for a Horror Movie Podcast meetup. We're going to go see Blair Witch together in theaters. I'm really pumped about that. That's awesome. It's going to be Jay of the Dead. And then from uh, Movie Podcast Weekly, you'll have uh, GeekCast Rye. Definitely Carl will be there griping the whole way. He does not want to see that movie, but we're going to make him. And then you can join us again in two weeks for episode 98 of Horror Movie Podcast, where we will be reviewing all the latest horror movie releases that have been in theaters lately. We've been kind of saving them up and stockpiling them for a nice Frankenstein-in episode of new releases. So that's going to be our very next episode. And um, as for plugs, guys, I'm just going to tell you, on Movie Podcast Weekly, episode 205, I review a film called Cresha, okay? And it's spelled like Krisha, but it's actually pronounced Krisha. And wait I, a second, it's spelled like what? Krisha, K-R-I-S-H-A. Oh, okay. But it's All right. <clears throat> it's pronounced Krisha. And I on Movie Podcast Weekly, I didn't do it over here because I didn't want people griping at me. I classify it as a social horror film, which is not under the umbrella of the horror genre. It's actually under the umbrella of the drama genre but um it's pretty interesting if you um want to learn more about social horror (laughs) 
from Jay of the Dead's perspective. Tune in to uh, Movie Podcast <laughs> Weekly, episode 205, and hear about Cresha. It's an interesting Thanksgiving film. It's set right at Thanksgiving. Josh, that's one you got to check out, buddy. Because I, be- I believe it's an autobiographical film. The writer-director is like exercising some demons that actually uh. happened in his life. He's cat. He's in the movie playing himself, and he's got many of his family members there portraying this this Thanksgiving holiday weekend that is horrifying in uh, many ways. So, Krisha spelt like Krisha. That's right. Okay. All right, uh, Wolfman Josh, what are your plugs? I just hope people enjoyed this episode. Um, it, it was definitely more of a trip down memory memory lane than we usually do, but I think that can be fun as well. And I hope that people use this as we're approaching the Halloween season to help them pick out some of the Halloween movies they're going to watch. Because to me, a good Halloween movie isn't necessarily the best horror movie. It's a good party movie that you can watch with a lot of people. And yes. I think we've done a lot of those tonight. What about you, Dr. Shock? Check out the blog at dvdinfatuation.com. Check me out on Twitter at, at dvdinfatuation. I do have a Facebook page, and I am also on the Land of the Creeps podcast. And please, people, go on horrormoviepodcast.com and tell us what we missed and what your movies were and give us your lists and all of that stuff as well. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to recommend three more podcasts to check out uh, that I appeared on. One of them is the Sci-Fi Podcast, episode 17. It was almost yes. exactly the same as this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that was called Family Friendly Aliens. Oh. And uh, we, we basically did the exact same thing we did here. We talked about um, the Family Friendly Alien movies we liked and listed them and just named a th- trillion movies and talked about growing up. Um, that was fun. I also would like to recommend two episodes of Movie Streamcast, the other podcast I do that I did with my five-year-old son. They're both really funny, in my opinion. Episode 56, The Monster Squad, and episode 58, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, we get his take, a five-year-old's take on those two uh, entries into the horror genre, and I think um, that will give you probably even a better sense than this episode of how those <laughs> might affect a child. Right. Um, and then lastly, just follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and you can connect with me on Facebook as well, all at Icarus Arts. I'm on there. Let's chat. So a little update on our Lost Mysteries contest with the IB Trav artwork, actually. Um, We had given away two pins and two stickers on the previous episode, but due to a lot of our horror listeners having kind of a screen name, a horrorized screen name and their real name, we actually ended up giving two to one person. So Jonathan Watkins is actually Sam Loomis 13 as well. And so uh, Jonathan contacted us and let us know. And so he said, go ahead and give that sticker to somebody else. So (laughs) that was very nice of him. Yeah. It actually win both. Um, But we will draw again really quick for the lost mysteries, Michael Myers sticker. Wow. This is like the end of Willy Wonka. Yes. A deed of one honest boy so shines in the world. (laughs) Okay. And this is going to go to Dustin Watson, a.k.a. Mr. Watson on the HMP comment section. Yes, Mr. Watson. So, Mr. Watson, congratulations. And you probably owe a thank you to Jonathan for making that happen for you. That's right. But not to IB Trav or us. (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
this may be a little early, but I want to start priming the pump here. Mr. Watson has launched Horror Corridor, which is a horror movie podcast as well. He says episode one is up in iTunes and they've actually joined the Horrorphilia site. He's part of that network and um, his show is called Horror Corridor. Now, just so people know, Mr. Watson, he's been a longtime listener and supporter and a a really good friend to our show. And so I would consider it a personal favor if everybody out there can check out Horror Corridor and support Mr. Watson. Um, He's awesome. He contributes in the in the comments and stuff. And so I'm sure it's going to be good stuff. I haven't heard it yet, but I am going to listen to this. Cause I just, I just opened this email just a second right now as we were talking. And um, he also said that in that first episode, he gives HMP a big shout out um, in the, in the episode. So thank you, Mr. Watson. And we'll be promoting horror corridor and I'll, I'll even give a little review of it here coming up in the future. Just as long as we're doing that, this is going to keep going on forever. We just keep reminding each other of things. Um, we do have another listener, uh, Hugh, who has a podcast that he just recently launched, and um, Hugh Lloyd, um, and he did the Undead Wookiee podcast, and they've <laughs> they've got two episodes That's of that awesome. out so far, and um, you can find that on the HMP Twitter feed. If you look in the media, you can just scan down. You'll see the Undead Wookiee. You'll know it when you see it. Um, but it's on um, YouTube, actually, that podcast. Neat. Uh, that's a great name, by the way. Just uh, a lot of our listeners um, inspired by Jay's work and, and wanting to <laughs> get podcasting on their own. That's great. That's great. Th- thank you all. And um, I'm super excited to hear that they're they're doing their shows, too. So. I want to listen to these, Josh. So we'll, yep. we'll have them linked in the show notes for the episode here so you all can check it out. And with all these new horror podcasts and stuff that are that come from our community, um, you guys should have tons of good stuff to listen to for this Halloween. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to do another little giveaway. We, you know, in honor of this specific episode, um, the horror movie for kids, I've got a Monster Squad pin that we could give away. Uh-huh. This one... I saw this on our listener Adam's Instagram, um, Artbox Adam on Instagram. If you guys aren't following him, you should check it out. He does some really cool artwork. Um, in fact, I just recently got a Stranger Things piece from Adam. Nice. What is it with all our listeners being these like tremendous artists? I know. It's crazy. And Adam's actually the one. I don't know if you remember me talking about this when he first wrote in years ago, but he's the guy who was in this band Searchlight mm-hmm. um, that was on the Resident Evil soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we need to get him on the show when we review those movies. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, it'd be cool. Anyway, um, so I'm giving away this. It's it's uh looks like Sean's T-shirt in Monster Squad. It's a red pin, uh, T-shirt shaped pin that says Stephen King rules on it. Nice. <laughs> and so I just want to. This is unfortunately to our wonderful longtime listeners. This is probably only available to new listeners. But I know we have so many new listeners. I wanted to do something special for them. So for the first of you, um. For you first-time listeners who write a new review for us on iTunes, this is only going to apply to people who have never written an iTunes review. Mm-hmm. 
We prefer a five-star view, but you know, follow your heart there. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and um, we will select one winner from the new iTunes reviews we get between this episode and next episode for the Monster Squad Stephen King Rules t-shirt pin. But weirdly, uh, yeah. four-star reviews or lower are not applicable. Yeah, no, I'm just they kidding. might not get drawn. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm just messing. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Not really. We need a little diversity. No, I would like, I mean. <laughs> Do not encourage force. Let's not encourage force. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> um, but, you know, we you know what, Jason, we have had so many new listeners lately contacting us on Twitter and stuff that it, it always surprises me. Like, oh, these people actually aren't even familiar with our franchise reviews or our themed episodes. Uh, because they're such recent listeners. So I do want to tell people, you know, an announcement I haven't made for a long time, mm-hmm. which is if you go to horrormoviepodcast.com and look on the sidebar, a lot of our big themed episodes are listed there, our franchise reviews, our versus episodes, yes, commentary, um, definitely stuff to check out. And you can stream them right there on the site or download them from the site. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but our iTunes only goes back a certain number of episodes. And a, a couple of listeners have asked me about that. Why can't they um, mm-hmm. access the entire archive on iTunes? That's I'm correct. assuming that has to do with hosting space. Is that the case? Yeah, because iTunes is dumb, basically. Yeah, it's a, you don't you don't. <laughs> I mean, you can do like I think a maximum of fifty or something, but you actually don't want to have your um, too much of your feed there in iTunes. But they can find every single episode we've ever released at horrormoviepodcast.com. Yep, totally. So I'd recommend people do that. I know um, for a lot of our new listeners, we have some really fun themed episodes where we've talked about all kinds of crazy stuff. And Yes. Right there on the sidebar. And you know what, new listeners, if they don't listen to that Wolfman Josh, yeah. then uh, because what those actually represent are hours and hours that we did not spend time with our children. <laughs> so make sure you listen because it's good stuff and we're pretty proud of it. So uh, just a couple more things from the listeners here. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Joe Brunette. Um, he is the awesome listener that's an editor, and he just graduated from film school uh, as an editor. But he also, he's been going around visiting some of these horror locations as of late. Yes. And he went to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house and, and uh, butchering factory, whatever you call that. <laughs> <laughs> um, he went to stopped in Salt Lake City. We missed him when he was here, but he saw the Halloween, the Michael Myers house here in Salt Lake City. Excellent. And he also recently sent us a photograph um, when he visited the Overlook Hotel. Oh, yeah. So I thought that would be a cool one to post in the comments so people can check that out. Yeah. Joe also sent us a tweet that I thought was really funny. He said, I took your advice and watched clown. I didn't take your advice and I ate during the bathroom scene mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yes. I've had just a lot of awesome listener comments lately (laughs) um, that I wanted to shout out. Just people really, really kind. And, uh, and and we really appreciate their support of us. Yeah. Um, Anna Ribeiro. I'm sorry. I know I mispronounced that. Anna. Rib a euro. I am so sorry, Anna. <laughs> I know. She's really offended right now. I know. Anna Dreadful is her Twitter name. That's a lot easier for me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. her tweet says, Hey guys, I'm tweeting from Portugal. I love the podcast. Join Twitter just to follow you. 
You guys rock. Wow. That's so nice. Isn't that great? Portugal. Oh, that's so cool. Here's one that I thought was even more amazing. This is from Daniel Goodson in Switzerland. Daniel says, you are my top one English learning source because you are dead serious about it. Oh, that's so nice. I hope we're not uh, leading him astray. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to try much harder, Daniel. um, Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Now that we know people are listening to us uh, to learn English. So, um, and then I also want to give a shout out to Jody Branham and um, Greg in Toledo, Ohio. We've got so many Ohio listeners. The Buckeye State. That's right. I I want all y'all to know. I was raised in West Virginia, and I lived in Ohio for a while. Hmm. Martins Ferry, Ohio, right there on the Ohio River. The Buckeye State. You know, see, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think, honestly, I think most, like, every third listener I encounter online is from Ohio. Like, yeah, Dino, I guess he's originally from New York and New Jersey, but he lives in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. We've got Jody and Greg and Sal are all in Toledo. Um, (laughs) Oh, somebody goes by ODB. (laughs) He's one of our new listeners. Yeah. Um, He, uh, he's also from Ohio. So yeah, just a ton of Ohio listeners that are always popping up here in the feed. Well, there's not Uh, much to do in Ohio. Truth be told. So, I mean, that's probably part of it. They listen (laughs) to podcasts. Absolutely. So this is a sad thing. Uh, This was shared with us, I believe by Shani dreadful. It could have been Allison with an eye. I don't remember exactly who it was on Instagram, but Jay, this is important. You're going to hate this. Um, this is a, tw- uh, Instagram post from Z records. Zia records. That's right. Uh Oh, and it says friends with heavy hearts. We share, and it's not what you're thinking, uh-huh. but it is sad. This past weekend, Brian Faber owner and vice president of Z Rec- records suffered a brain hemorrhage and stroke oh. and he passed away. Uh, that was on Sunday, September 4th. The um, owner and vice president of Z Records passed. Man, so, that sucks. That is sad. And thanks to our listeners for letting us know about that. Yeah. yeah. See, and I you, never got the chance to tell him how much I love his store. But right. on the other hand, I, I saw a post from Adam again, who is visiting Z Records just today. Oh we, no way! So, <laughs> Which you, you're, you've left the left a lasting imprint, Jay. Even if you didn't get to tell him what his work meant to you. Well, I hope so. And in which location was it that Adam visited? Do you know? Um, I don't. I don't know offhand. I could find out. I mean, I know Adam used to live in Las Vegas. That's where his band Searchlight was based. Yeah. Okay. Um, he lives either back east or in the Midwest now. But um, so I'm guessing maybe he was home visiting in Las Vegas when. He visited Zia because I think Zia is only in like Arizona, Las Vegas, and uh, a couple of other places. Well, seriously to the listeners and we don't get any kickbacks from Zia records, but I mean, you've always wanted to visit Vegas, right? So go visit Vegas (laughs) and stop in there at Zia records. Man, that place is amazing. Absolutely. I'm trying to get my wife to actually go back for another visit down there to the Sin City. And she's like, no, <laughs> but um, but Josh, next time you're going to go down there, let me know. Maybe we should do that together. Okay, absolutely. You know, just so many nice comments. I, you know, we can't read every single one, but um, hands of time on Twitter said saw Babadook for the first time. This is so much more than just a scary movie. Revisiting your episode now, I think prompted by the horror down under episode. Um, nice. There was this one from Isaiah. 
he, he tweeted, if you want a great horror film podcast to gear up for Halloween, you got to check out Horror Movie Cast. It's the best horror podcast around. <laughs> Aww. These comments just so, mean a lot to us, guys. So thanks so much for for your support. We really appreciate it. It does mean a lot, Josh. Because do you remember? I don't know if you remember this when I, when um when I first launched the weekly horror movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Tons of people made fun of me and said, "Jay of the Dead doesn't get horror," and I think people still feel that way in many <laughs> cases. But it's just really nice to hear that the the show that we put out, the humble little show that we produce, people really appreciate it. So yeah. thank you all. Absolutely. Lastly, I'll just share this tweet from It's a Live podcast. They, uh, another horror podcast, they tweeted us to say, just dropping in to say, you guys are the essential horror film podcast. Oh, that's nice. It's thank you so much. How can people find It's a Live podcast? I assume it's. um, I'm looking on Twitter. It's at It's a Live pod. Mm-hmm. And then their website is just it's a live podcast.com. Yeah, I mean I've I've seen them on Twitter like tweeting us and retweeting us and stuff. That was that was really nice of them. So thank you. Everybody listeners out there, please check them out and uh, see what they're doing over there. I need to check them out too, Josh. Yeah, totally. And speaking of podcasts, just sorry, I know I said that was the last one, but there's I think a podcast that assumed incorrectly that we were a Indiana based podcast. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> due to the meetup, or maybe due to Geekcast Rye. But for whatever reason, they were covering uh, Indiana-based podcasts, and they did a live tweet of um, our Horror Down Under episode. And so as oh. the episode, they listened to the episode and were live tweeting out um, kind of their thoughts on it. That was kind of funny. You can go back and and follow their tweets, and there was some interaction there. The, the listeners can follow. And just looking up their names right now, it's um, – this is beer related. I don't remember exactly what it was. Oh, really? But, uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm going to I'm gonna have to find that and put a link to it, but it's it's on the Twitter feed there. What, what you're saying makes sense, though. So, um, you know, that's the, a beer related podcast. They they think we're from a different state. I can see how this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Dave's not on at the moment that we're recording this, but Dave's family actually suffered a pretty sad tragedy last week. Yeah. And I know Dave on Twitter is trying to help raise money for a family member who um, is in need. His, his brother-in-law passed away. And um, I, I, I feel like I'm okay saying this since Dave's not on the show right now, but I, if you go to Dave's Twitter at DVD infatuation, you can find a link to a GoFundMe page where they're trying to, it says, you know, fill the huge void left by the passing of his brother-in-law and raise some money for the family. So that was my last little shout out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would love it if people could support Dave's family. And actually, I have a few shout outs as well here. Awesome. Uh, little things to go over, Josh. Okay, first of all, I want when people check out the show notes for this episode, make sure you check out our friend Shannon, who is amazing. Shannon sent in a picture He's wearing his uh, horror movie podcast T-shirt, the white lettered version, nice. and he and he says proudly flying my HMP flag at the Don't Breathe movie, and you can see the Don't Breathe poster behind him as well as the War Dogs poster. And so, Shannon, that makes my day. I love seeing stuff like that. Oh, that reminds me. Did I ever finish my thought on? I think I got sidetracked talking about Ohio horror fans, but. Um, what I was trying to say was that Jody and Greg went to the premiere of Rob Zombie's 31, both wearing their oh. movie podcast t-shirts. And they sent us a photo with um, 
Yes. Jody in the white and Greg in the green side by side at 31. So. Oh, man. So did just curious, did Jody and Greg, did they know each other prior to? Um, yeah, I don't want to. I'm not positive. My understanding is Jody and Greg were friends and Jody got Greg into the podcast, which oh, okay. is what we like to hear. Yeah, that's really nice. I'm super impressed by that. That's that's amazing. Um, so we got an email uh, from Brittany. Okay, so Brittany, you know how I am, Wolfman. I have to, uh, you know, bring up any opportunity I can to talk about Alice, sweet Alice. Yes. And that was that was Brittany. Uh, that was her subject line. And and by the way, Brittany is AKA Snowy Otter. And you all remember her. Ah, uh, Snowy Otter. Yeah. He was just married this week. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. So it says, hey, Jay, just want to give you a heads up. This month's issue of Rue Morgue has a nice feature on Alice Sweet Alice. Thank you, Brittany. By the way, I saw that and I was really pumped about it. And she writes, I, I thought I would tell you because I know you're a big fan of the film. I am too. I used to have a huge crush on the main actress, Paula Shepard. Me too, Brittany. I, 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 <laughs> seriously. Uh, she said, growing up, so I would watch it a lot. <laughs> My dad made me watch it at a too early of an age, but it always stuck with me. as a very disturbing and awesome movie that no one knows about. It's a little bit of a tough watch as I'm older, and it's a little slow-moving movie. But anyway, I love that you always uh, tout this movie supreme. One of the factoids in the magazine says that the guy who scored the movie, Stephen Lawrence, has spent the latter part of his career composing music for children's shows such as Sesame Street. Anyway, just thought I'd give you a shout-out to check out the August issue of Rue Morgue. It's okay. We can fangirl, fanboy over this movie at our own lunch table. Listen to you later, <laughs> Snowy Otter. So I love that, Brittany. Thank you. And then we got, okay, we got something amazing from Allison. And then this is Allison with a Y in this particular case. And uh, she sent us a, a photo at her library, which makes me so happy. I love this at your mercy thing when, you know, I mean, they're doing it and it's just just pumping me up so much. I'll save the majority of this email for that episode when we're going to talk about it, Josh. But I just want to say here, she said that she and Drew went down to their local library branch of the Multnomah County Library, which serves Portland, Oregon. And while we have seen more horror titles there in the past... They only had two horror movies available for this visit. You, what do you think? Two horror wow. movies? That's crazy. We need to go talk to those people at Multnomah County Library. Anyway, they said um, she said they have Ken Russell's Altered States, and that's got my boy in it, um, William. Uh, help me out from the village. Hurt. <laughs> yes, William Hurt. That's right, and. Um, she said when we checked it out earlier, and we enjoyed hearing about um, Alter States in the When Science Goes Too Far episode, and a movie from 1981 titled Ghost Story. And mm. she says that they checked out Ghost Story, and it has Fred Astaire and Douglas Fairbanks as part of a group of older gentlemen who meet up to tell ghost stories. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little teaser there. Cool. At the end, though, uh, she does have a picture of her. She's creeping behind the DVD. She checked out Dracula from 1931 and Bride of Frankenstein. So, anyways, I love this. Thank you. And, and then she signs, Fangs for the Memories. <laughs> That's Allison awesome. with a Y. 
I love puns. I can't help myself. Oh, you know, that reminds me, Greg Bench, um, Jody's friend in Toledo, Ohio. He sent a cool little photograph. I saw it on Twitter. We had we didn't respond to it yet just because there was a lot of stuff going on. We should do that soon. But um, he sent a photograph of just some horror books at his library. He said, this book series started me off loving horror. And you've got to see the photograph. It's awesome. But it's got just these books, King Kong, The Blob, The Mummy, The Wolfman, Godzilla, Mad Scientists. And it was so weird. As soon as I saw them, I just had this intense flashback. Mm-hmm. I totally read these books and I had... It's funny because the Wolfman has actually the werewolf from Werewolf of London on the cover. Oh, okay. And I remember tracing that werewolf as a little kid. Um, yeah, not knowing, you know, that time what movie it actually came from, but that's so weird. <laughs> I love it. That That's really neat. I See... Uh, there's something I don't know I don't know what it is maybe the old man in me like the internet age is incredible of course but like going to a library and looking up stuff finding these treasures in the library that's pretty exciting yeah because it's a little bit like a treasure hunt nowadays I mean you can find anything on Google of course obviously but but when you find something like that like the the actual you know the material mm-hmm. that you can hold in your hands, the physical Absolutely. media, and rub it on your chest and stuff, Josh. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Kagan, listener Kagan from Salt Lake City, you guys had a meetup with him uh, last week and a couple of our other listeners. Mm-hmm. He gave me a Blu-ray for his At Your Mercy pick. He actually bought me the movie and, and sent it to me via a guy named Andy. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> it's a society. So thank you, Kagan, for that as well. That's something I can hold in my hand. And what an awesome gift from our listeners. Yeah. And, and just to tease that little meetup in our next episode, we're going to have a little bit of a recording from that meetup. We had a, a cool. mini Salt Lake City horror movie podcast meetup. And um, we all saw Don't Breathe together. And that's going to be really fun to tell you all that story next time. And I just got one quick mushy thing to say. I want to thank everybody. I was um, corresponding with a potential podcasting client, and I was trying to explain about how podcasting can develop a community, you know, a community that listens to your show and blah, 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 and how you can really, you know, develop some really neat friendships and relationships with people that from around the world that you never even met. So I was I was scrolling down through our iTunes reviews, which we I think we have 104 iTunes reviews for Horror Movie Podcast now. And nice. I, I was just reading down through all of those again, and there have since been a lot of new ones added since I last read. And I, I was just honestly, guys, no kidding, almost like moved to tears like by some of the really touching, nice things. So I just want to thank people who left a comment. And that really helps us out a ton. If you love this show, you want to support this show, and you haven't left this an iTunes review, it doesn't have to be long. You can just leave something short. Um, thanks for doing that for us. And obviously, we love your comments on the website, as Josh was saying. You can get involved in the horror movie podcast community that I was just speaking about by um, contributing a comment there and corresponding with the other listeners in the show notes for episode 97 here. You can also email me at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. All of our episodes are available, including the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis, 
on our website at horrormoviepodcast.com. Subscribe free in iTunes to make sure you get every single episode that we release. And you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and all that other stuff. I want to thank Fred Engram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of his music at frederickengram.com. That'll be linked in the show notes. And um, I think that's it for episode 97 here. We thank you for listening. And join us again next week in Indiana in person to see Blair Witch. And then join us in two weeks for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror Movie Podcast.